Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. This week, we have Mike Wilkerson of Stellium 7 on YouTube. He is a fellow chiral fellow. By that, I mean Hansi fellow. He's a chiropractor with his practice in Spain. And I came across Stellium 7, the channel, a few years ago, and he was documenting essentially his research into this massive mountain. When I say massive, actually, it's a small mountain. It's three miles long by a mile high. But the crazy thing about this particular mountain is that it looks like an elephant. (laughs) And he had been hypothesizing for a minute that, you know, the Titans were somehow some way petrified. And there's many different pictures of these stone structures around the world where it looks like there was a person, like a very large person that was petrified or a very large animal that was petrified. I've always been intrigued by the what petrification could be ever since I was 17 and visited the petrified forest in Arizona. And so in this podcast, we get into what is petrification, how geological... Uh, how something biological can be turned geological. Mike is an amazing researcher. And you guys know me. I love people that are cross-domain thinkers. Like he's taken a lot of what he's learned in his practice as a, as a healer, essentially, and brought it into, brought those observational skills into looking at all this crazy geology. Go check out Stellium 7, see all the videos he has of the heart rocks. Uh, This dovetails extremely nicely with Dr. Cowan's work uh, with the shape of the heart and uh, what the heart actually is. And to see all these heart stones, like I had friends that would collect heart stones all in the Caribbean. They're everywhere. <laughs> and to think that they actually might be a heart is is pretty wild. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the flip side. to tell you i came across your work a few years ago and you were showing you were i think you were in a stream or something and you were showing these heart rocks and as soon as i saw the heart rocks i'm like oh my god because here in costa rica i've been walking with my friends and some of these quebradas quebradas is the name for a stream here and some of these rivers and like my ex my ex-wife would pick up these heart rocks all the time like she had a whole collection of these she's like look this looks like a heart and Mm. i've i've been obsessed with the uh the italian doctor that like he unfolded the the heart like it was like spanish spanish excuse me let's call iberian peninsula the uh he he uh he unrolled what was that doctor's name his name is francisco torrent guasp and uh, he, yeah, he was the discoverer of what's known as the myocardial 
ventricular band and, and that's just the word for myocardio is just heart muscle mm -hmm. ventricular is is the just the whole band is is uh, you know like you said it just it, he he was trying to figure out the heart for for decades because he didn't he didn't agree with the the prevailing model when it came to you know the heart being a pump that that squeezes and pushes blood out to the the cells of the body and uh well you'll yeah, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this the reason why i was enamored with his work was the whole pump thing but i had been making cavitation pumps so you ever mm. see a cavitation pump the way the, the way those is work? that like, is that like a ram pump exactly it's a ram yeah pump. yeah yeah i've and, seen some videos on those so for those of you out there that don't know, you can use water that's going downhill. You can use the weight of the water and you can, you can create a valving system where the, as the water is flowing downhill, it's picking up speed and pressure. And then you truncate the flow of the water. And because nature abhors a vacuum, she collapses the backside of the valve. And if you put a pressure bladder right where that collapse is occurring that force then is collected and then can be redistributed to the other side of the pump and i had been building these for probably three years and then i came across guasp's work and you know victor schauberger was like you know the the heart isn't a pump you know electricity is temperature differential and I had been doing cold plunges and things like that. And I'd feel all this charge in my body. And I was like, holy shit, the perimeter of our body is much cooler than our core body temperature. That gives the electrical potential for this cavitation, this, the, the, this cavitation pump to work. And then I saw Guas work and then I read Tom Cowan and then coming across your work where you're like, Oh my goodness, there's all these petrified hearts everywhere. Like, tell me, tell me how, give us the genesis of how you came into all of this. Wow, it was, I really came at it backwards because it was about six, seven, seven years ago or so that I started waking up to, you know, major parts of, of the, the mainstream model of what we're given of all of the ologies potentially being false. Yes. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, you know, I um, I was looking at uh, Earth shape quite a bit. Uh, my my best buddy is is uh, Alex Michael, conspiracy music guru. Oh, um, cool! Yeah, I love he, uh, Chance. He he recorded music for my friend Chance. Uh, oh, he did for, for the Interverse podcast. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, for I, you. But he, has he ever been on Chance's podcast? No, I think he just did the bumper music for the first first couple years of Chance's podcast. Yeah, I I, I love I love Chance's uh, stuff. I've um, I saw your interview there and um, a couple of other interviews. Actually, I I just I just saw yesterday because I I went on Facebook to see if we you know to to friend you on Facebook. We've been friends for four years on Facebook. <laughs> I think I, I think <laughs> and, I, and, uh, I didn't even know, you know, but you never post anything there. So you never no. showed up in my in my feed. And and uh, but the funny thing is, I sent you um, a link in 2019 to one of my first videos, which was called Unveiling a Titan. And it's a, a series yes. that I did uh, examining a mountain here in this town that I live in in Spain. 
And the Titans. I can't I, wait to get to the, the Titans. Titans. Yeah. So, um, yeah, isn't that a Florida team, the Titans? Are they no, it's Florida? the Tennessee. The Tennessee Titans. Oh, Tennessee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, the uh, the link that I sent you was actually you you were on Mike Williams uh, yes. podcast, and I and I I don't even remember what you guys talked about, but I was really struck by the conversation. I was like, this guy's we we have so many overlaps in our interests. It was amazing, and so I I sent you uh, you know just a link to to the the video. Um, but there's, you know, a little bubble shows up when someone's actually seen the message. So you never even saw the message. We're actually friends. So you must have accepted my friend request, but you never saw that message. So I, I, am, the, that kind of I am the worst on Facebook. <laughs> like Facebook. And I don't even know, like I have a website and I have my email set up for the website. And I just asked my my IT guy, I'm like, what's the password to my my email? I have no, I've never even checked my email. So I have Did so many. Have an IT guy. I, I have I have so many businesses that I'm like, you know, between my construction business and my biochar business and and doing podcasts and stuff like that, I'm not I'm not the best at following up. So I apologize about that. Oh no, that's no problem. I, I, you know, you didn't see it, so I figured you just didn't use the platform. But I just saw that today. I had totally forgotten that that I reached out. And then uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so, I saw you on Alpha Vedic, and um, and then I think on Chances. And I thought this guy, I'd love to talk to him someday. So it was really, it was such a synchronicity that you reached out to me out of the yes. blue, um, because I was like, is that the? Wait a minute, is that is that Topher? Because you know, it said Christopher on your email, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah. So, um, but, but going back to your question about how this all began, uh, it started really with me, uh, examining our whole world with new eyes because I, I'd come from a very mainstream background when it came to, to university. I have a degree in chiropractic, which is very science oriented, setting the scientific method a lot, reading lots of studies, learning how to how to examine studies for their flaws and and statistics and all of these different things that that you know are part of that process um, and uh, and then I was uh, I, I was really interested in kind of studying as much as I could when I was when I was younger and I, I dropped out of high school and then I went back to college later and, and started as a philosophy major and then went to Italy as an exchange student I lived a few years in Italy um, in a in a few different towns there. Um, very so yeah I so I studied a lot of different things trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do with myself when I grew up I still haven't figured out (laughs) (laughs) if if the growing up part is going to happen but um and um so when uh I I'd I'd been waking up to all kinds of different things long before I met Alex but he was the one who really started pushing the whole earth shape idea and I'm like there is no way this could be Mm-hmm. He, he, this guy's nuts like the first time he brought it up I thought we, we were getting along so well and we had so many mutual interests and we'd been you know checking off the boxes of things that we'd looked into that we thought were cool and, and interesting and he brought that up and I just thought I can't trust a word this guy says ever again because if he's willing to believe something this absurd he'll believe anything you know right. and um, so you know fast forward seven years I started re-examining everything uh, because the more I looked into that subject, the more it started to just cause other subjects to unravel. unravel. And I, I got into um, watching a lot of different videos on on geology and and different takes on geology. And and that was really when I started to to wonder if um, 
you know, the rocks were what we were taught and if they came about the way we were taught. And and Mudfossil University was there in the very beginning with his ideas. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I thought he had an interesting model for how rapid petrification could come about. He was talking about months, even, you know, years rather than tens of thousands or millions of years. Um, and then uh, I saw a video by Wakey Wakey where he was examining some of the cornerstones of, of geology when it came to things like dating and different mm -hmm. stuff that we're taught about how the the cycle of petrogenesis occurs and how rocks come about. And so that was really what what led me to just walking around imagining, you know, what what are you know, what are rocks really? Are they what we were taught? And um, and then the the clincher for me was a video by Jay Dreamers where he was talking about Titans and the mythology of Titans and the history, you know, what what the what the religious texts and the mythological stories tell us about the existence of these gigantic beings. And and one of Roger's favorite things on his channel is to talk about this giant dragon that's that appears to be consuming an, a, a giant fish in the in the Sahara. And I thought this is pretty way out there, but when he started talking about Plato or one one of the other Greek authors describing this event that occurred in that location, and he's showing, you know, what appears to be some very specific anatomy, I, I, I thought, who knows, you know, I, I already had the idea that we lived in a holographic fractal universe for a long time. I read, uh, I think it was David Talbot's book years and years yes. ago. Um, and I, I went through all kinds of different uh modern new age texts not the original uh you know first uh first writings of of uh the different civilizations but uh kind of the the layman's versions of those those original alchemic texts um and you know it just made a lot of sense to me that that everything seemed to be looping back around and and what was um you know myth and fiction and and uh pseudoscience uh, seemed to be more and more being confirmed by mainstream science as we got into topics like quantum physics and, you know, whatnot. So I have yes. different opinions about all that stuff now than I had had back in the beginning, but um, that was really what, what led to it. And then as far as the heartstones go, first I did the, I did this in-depth analysis of this mountain here um, that looked a lot like a big creature you know from one from one side in particular it looks a lot like a like an elephant that's lying down with its head forward and um from um from multiple angles i got on google earth and i'm like there's just no way there there could be any any substance to this silly idea and the more i looked at it the more things i kept finding now you know obviously you've got pareidolia which is just pattern recognition where you see something that doesn't doesn't actually exist, you know, in a cloud or in wood grain or, or you know, whatever. <laughs> that's that's something I was already well aware of. I didn't know the word for it. I, I learned that word from uh, Jay Dreamer's video. And then apophenia, which is a similar thing, which is basically recognizing a reoccurring pattern that actually isn't a pattern. And uh, so I was aware of all the all those pitfalls when looking into something as as outlandish as this before I started and and so I took it very cautiously and I got out my anatomy books and I, I got on Google Earth and I'm looking you know tilting and, and looking at it from lots of different angles and the more I looked the more I found that that this mountain had 
all kinds of anatomical features. Now, it's it's one thing to see it from a particular angle and, and recognize a face, and there are millions of photographs floating around the internet now of people doing exactly that, or from Google Earth looking from above. And you know, with with abstract art like you see behind me, you can look at it and you can let your eyes relax, and you can see all kinds of different faces. So mm -hmm. I, I I decided to approach it in a far more methodical manner. And and uh, there's a there's a cave right. In, in the head, there's right right where the, the eye socket should be, there is a there's a cave there that is shaped exactly like an eye. And it even has like the 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 ridge that's above the eye. And there's a line that comes down where there's a suture where the bones, the frontal bone and the temporal bone meet mm -hmm. in that line that comes down. And that line is also there. And I've been up at this cave a whole bunch of times and I'm like, just no way because I'd already marveled at how weird it was up there because I knew the mainstream model is mountains are formed by tectonic activity of these plates banging together and then coming upward and first of all this whole this whole mountain is just like jutting upward and everything around it on all sides is flat so like how do how does that happen where it's just like this random piece you know comes up um and then the caves you know formed through what water erosion well how does water reach up that high i i, I didn't know I, I i wasn't a geology buff in in any way shape or form in school i thought i thought archaeology and geology were just about the most boring thing i could imagine when i i was listening to one of your interviews and you were talking about how enamored of space you were yes. and how you know we're we're this this place is shot we've we've ruined it our only hope is to go to the stars you know yeah. and it was like Everything, you know, about my childhood was all, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, all this space fantasy. Um, that was, you know, the focus was always out there, you know, into the future. And uh, yes. so looking down to dirty, you know, archaeological digs and, you know, never took any interest in it whatsoever. And it was always presented in such a boring fashion in school. That, you, you'll get, you know, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll get such a kick out of this. So, um I had an ins I had uh, an epiphany. I trust my epiphanies more than I trust the the thinking process because a lot of time for me at least I was lied to so much through like you know studying plate tectonics and geology and all this stuff that a lot of my thinking process was based on bad information. And what I started to trust as an athlete was these in the flow moments. And in the, in the flow moments, there's, I always perform the best and in the flow moments also I would have epiphanies the and zone. so, yeah, be in the zone. And so, uh, I was on a friend's farm and we were hiking and we got caught in a really bad thunderstorm, lightning storm is actually the thunder hadn't hit yet, but the storm was rolling in fast. And to give you a set and setting, his farm was at about 4,000 feet of elevation and it had this cliff wall behind it that went up another thousand feet. So when the storms would come off the ocean, it was severe. Like it all would get caught right there. As a crow flies, he was only like five Ks from the ocean. So the storm's rolling in and he's like, hey, I know where we can, you know, have cover. And so we went behind this waterfall. It was a small waterfall. It was probably like a 20 foot waterfall. And there was this little cave behind the waterfall. And we just had gotten behind the waterfall and the, it, the lightning was going on everywhere. And then lightning struck right in front of the waterfall. 
and it, it like because we were in like a cave the sound the whip sound was like deafening to our ears and it like we both dropped to the ground and we're like <laughs> i reached out my hand i'm like are you alive and then so we we walk out and it's like 30 seconds later crawl out and there's this cylinder that's been like wherever the lightning hit was like this like reddish color in the stream and there was a cylinder and i had seen cylinders at other waterfalls it was like a hollowed out cylinder it's probably maybe at the most 10 inches deep by about like is maybe two two and a half inches in diameter and i'd seen very similar cylinders in other areas and when i first saw the first time i was like oh that's man-made you know because it's too perfect it's like somebody took an auger like a drill yeah yeah but then i saw the other waterfalls that were not like popular they weren't like waterfalls that tourists went to so like nobody's drilling that for a railing or anything like that and they were in very odd places and i was like i remember asking people that lived there longer than i did i was like were they always vertical or were they perfectly vertical Boom. And, and so <laughs> I had I had some smart ass tell me, oh, the eddy currents create that. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I make flow right. forms. You mm. know, there's no flow form that is a cylinder. That's actually not a, a good flow form. You know, the it, flow forms are usually heart shaped. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this glowing red cylinder in the in the face of the rock face of this waterfall. And I instantly saw it. Because I had read Schauberger and I knew Schauberger was always talking about the plasma that was emitted from these old growth forests and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my goodness, this whole area used to have these lightning storms that were so massive, like when the canopy stretched from the Caribbean all the way to the Pacific. Could you imagine the amount of power that some of these storms would have? Because, you know, if you've ever hiked Chiripo, Chiripo is the highest mountaintop in all of Central America. I've only done it once. I could see uh, the sunrise over the Caribbean and I could see lightning storms over the Pacific. So mm. how many how many places on Earth can you see two massive, you know, ocean bodies like that? So Costa Rica and Panama are very special in that way. There's so much water, so close. This region I'm in is, I, I've seen the biggest thunder lightning storms I've ever seen in my life right yeah. here. Uh, but I'm also, the, this part of Spain is uh, on the Mediterranean, but it sticks out and it's a little diamond shaped peninsula. Nice. And I'm right on the tip of that. So we get, you know, we get all these different weather patterns that, that meet right here. Well, you'll like this. And, so this is a, this is a, another synchronicity that we share. So the valley I lived in is called the Diamante Valley, the Diamante Waterfall. Well, Diamante in Spanish just means diamond, but Diamante mm -hmm. in Sanskrit means lightning. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, I just so, yeah. so you live on this this diamond jutting out into this water body, you know, that's lightning. It attracts yeah. lightning, it attracts plasma. And so, of course you're familiar with fulgurites. Yes, 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 with, yeah. with silica. But so, yeah, so that's like sand. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Well, I just want to <laughs> I just want to make this connection because I had I I wrote articles. They knew that like in this area, I was Topher the science guy for a magazine here. 
and I wrote this article that was saying, oh, all these spheres, these perfect igneous rock spheres or granite spheres that, I mean, there's thousands of them all throughout this region of Central America and they're perfect. Like the ones that are like over a meter wide. Yeah, like and yeah. They, would, they would be thousands and thousands of pounds. They're perfect. And mm. I had already seen, um, you know, these studies where they would strike bauxite, which is iron oxide, mm -hmm. with plasma. And when they would strike the bauxite with plasma, with dry, with, uh, dry bauxite with plasma, it would congeal into a sphere. And even NASA had this whole video series of like why they made the tires on the Mars rover. The, the way that they made it was because they were like, you know, Mars is essentially bauxite clay. It's red clay. And mm -hmm. there's all these lightning storms that hit it. And so when lightning strikes bauxite, it makes all these spheres. And so this was before my flat earth days. So I, I believe NASA, but the, you know, with everything that they say, there's some truth in it. They're just talking about Terra Preta. They're talking yeah. about, they're talking about here. And so the epiphany was, was like, oh my God, these spheres are made by these massive lightning storms. You know, there's not these like, you know, indigenous hunters running through the forest, you know, right. moving <laughs> boulders and tapping with Flint. That's just utter, that's just, it's lunacy. Yeah. And, and because I saw right in front of me, this perfectly cylindrical thing that was made from lightning. Like you would never think, oh my goodness. And if you split them open, they have concentric spheres in them right it's like i, a, I don't know it's like a, I, I i've seen them cracked open i've, I've shown them in, in a number of my videos and they they look like a you know it's like russian dolls you know they're just and, and stones in general like even stones made by the body ha, mm -hmm. have this you know this ring pattern they they, they form in, in layers so there must be something happening with the, the lightning I, I I had like six different things bouncing around in my mind as you were telling this story because I mean first of all the fulgurites are formed when lightning hits sand, right. and then it comes up with these jutting you know shapes that are fractal, yes. um, that that are transmuted elements from the the plasma of the lightning strike, and then you have um, I just learned within the last month that diamonds are often found in diamond tubules. So that suggests to me that diamonds may also be formed in the same fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I um, thought about um, crop circles. Have you ever looked into yes. that phenomenon much? So one of the things that, that is interesting about that is that they've found that when you go into some of these, the, the ones that are pristine, that are absolutely perfect and seen from above, there are no flaws geometrically whatsoever, even when the terrain is, is you know, undulating. Mm -hmm. which this is damn near impossible for people with you know the official stories boards on their feet and ropes but no way. but when you pull away these 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 stalks that have been laid down without breaking the stalk because the actual corner has been transmuted <laughs> you know they've, they've done all these analyses on these things and they're they're actually molecularly different um at the bend than yes. they are in the rest of the stock but underneath there's also um these spherical um little dirt clods that are mm -hmm. perfect spheres but they're incredibly fragile so as soon as you walk on them mm -hmm. they they pulverize and so this is how they know that that they the fields were that these 
some of these formations were not made by people walking in the fields because they can they can go gently in and, and pull the way and they can see that those are untouched. Mm -hmm. So it's impossible that, that that it happened as a result of pressure. Yeah. And whenever I see those, they look like a more advanced Tunguska event. You know, like mm. if you ever saw the radial pattern, which with which the the pictures of the Tunguska event, which mm. for the people out there that don't know, there was nobody knows, nobody knows for certain, at least the historical record said a meteor hit this area of Russia, Siberia, where all the trees for a thousand square kilometers, they, they all were flattened in a radial direction. And so I've seen different crop circles, um, it, like the crop circle phenomenon kind of has died off, hasn't it? Like I, no, it still happens every year. It's just it, not spoken about. Yes, the, it, Mel, the Mel Gibson movie, which just tried to sweep the whole phenomenon under the carpet, as did all of the as did all of the mainstream media. So, I've read books on. I've seen a number of documentaries, and I would love. Way, I would way I would, more to that phenomenon. Than, I would love to study it more because in my a lot of my buildings, I build with a radial. Uh, I build with a radial roof design, and I build with a radial. Um, how should I say it, Joyce designed for second stories. So for me, I know how difficult it is. It, in a way, it's difficult. It's definitely not standard. It's not like a boxy thing. But to position things radially and to do it right, and to say some guys are out there with some stomping around, I mean, you, you they have- had a team, They had a team of Harvard students using GPS trying to create one of these things at night. And they- they did a pretty decent job, but it was incredibly simple. And you could see the flaws compared to yeah. the, the pristine ones that have like 400 circles in them. And they're using phi and the golden mean and all yes. these different ratios. But there's, it's, it's interesting because they'll, they'll go in um, and they'll, they'll take photographs from above. And the, the ones that are perfect are perfect. And then they can put that into a computer and they can, you know, render all the lines. And then the, there were... Uh, geometrists, I guess you would call them, that, that had, had gone in and showed the step-by-step -step procedures by which you would go about with a pen and paper and a compass and a square creating these, these formations on a piece of paper. And you're talking about somebody who's an expert, would, it would take them hours on a piece of paper to yes. do this kind of thing. And these are happening overnight in the darkness, sometimes when, when it's raining, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, but the interesting thing about some of these formations is these steps they're showing because there's a there's a uh, website called the crop circle connector that used to have you could click on the diagram which they had put in the computer and then it would show you all the steps if you wanted to recreate the thing yourself on paper but some of those steps involved erasing lines mm, yes i mean i do that all the time in architecture <laughs> right like, but you can't do that in a field you once can't you've do that made it. so yeah. they're like there's so many reasons why it can't be what they they tried to convince everybody it was. Because um, whenever you're dealing amazing. with curves, whenever you're triangulating off of a curve, which if you're doing a phi spiral, which I've seen a lot of these are, the way what you would have to do is you'd have to draw first the phi rectangle, and then as as you're working off of that, you'd have to do another rectangle to give you yourself the right radius to work yeah. off of it. And so people that aren't artists, it's just like. Geometry you know, was my favorite subject in high school. 
Oh, I definitely. Loved, I, and and I was I studied drafting as well, so I, I just loved you know using the the those tools, and yeah. uh, that was one of the reasons when when Alex started to hit me with the whole Earth shape phenomenon that I was just like you know he, he gave me the equation you know the for curvature and right uh i'm like okay it's just a ball this is just spherical tr trigonometry and calculate the parabola and all this you know it's like i started to to look in this i'm like it didn't take long before i realized we see way too far yes. <laughs> that doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah i grew up in flat areas and i went to school in michigan so i went from florida peninsula which was flat to the michigan peninsula was flat and then it wasn't until I moved to the tropics, like the, the area of Costa Rica I live in, they call it, it's where the mountains meet the ocean. And mm. I had this like scary phenomenon one day because I thought, uh, I thought a tidal wave was coming because I was at mm. like 3000 feet of elevation and it was the just horizon, really- Horizon was at eye level. It, yeah, it was really <laughs> clear that day. And it was like the ocean was right there. And I was like, it was startling. And I had a nightmare that night. Like I literally had this nightmare in my mind, just like the way it, it calculated it was like, oh my God, you know, sea levels are rising, all these things. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on because it was so profound to see the ocean at my eye level. And I'm at 3000 feet of elevation, like three or four clicks in from, from the coast. And I'm just like, this is way too much. Like, and so it was a relief. Yeah, after I got over my depression of letting go of space, it was actually relief because I was like, oh, my senses actually do work. Like my senses are being accurate with what they're telling me. I coined the term prospiracy for exactly that reason. <laughs> because because there's certain things along the way when you realize they're totally bullshit, you it it, it the fear the fear disperses. Yes. You know, it's like um, you know, the how often do you worry about an asteroid or a comet strike now? <laughs> and also, you know, it's, and also, it just like, makes you laugh. <laughs> and you, you also understand too, like I, before the flat earth stuff came in my consciousness, I was getting really aware that like, we completely live in a realm of abundance. Like, cause yeah. I, I had yeah. been around wild crafters and they were like taking me out, like, like, oh my God, there's all this like the weeds that you move to a place and then the wildflowers are different. And then you look at the profile of the wildflowers and the wildflowers are actually everything you need to heal your body. And I was just like, dude, this is a completely interactive medium that wants you to listen to it. And it's a partnership. It's not like a one-way dictatorship. So if you're going to be a dictator, it's going to go, Oh, you think you're the, you think you're the hot shot? you think you think you know okay here's a it, bit of humility for you yeah yeah but if you if you humiliate yourself a little bit and like listen and like take your time it's constantly signaling you that it wants to take care of you all hmm. the time like all the time and that's the yeah. biggest thing that's like the biggest uh i guess you would say uh gut punch to consumerism that there is like if you have a little bit of patience and humility, your environment's going to give you everything you need. And then if you have that procreative spark within yourself, if if you if you work in union and in tandem, there's so much abundance that comes towards towards you. It's unbelievable. But the key is there's not the key is not coming at it with this like dictatorial I'm going to do this 
my way. Ugh. You know, what does it say on the Oracle of Delphi? Know thyself. And uh, certainty is the road to ruin. Like, I mean, what else do you need to know? Yeah, there was some economists that, you know, real high level that decided to just take a break from, from work and school and uh, work on a farm for a period of time. And he was, he, he talked about how blown away he was when he realized that if you stick a potato in the ground, it gives you more potatoes. He's like, this is just, you know, this whole idea of, of we're living in this world of scarcity is such a, a lie. I see it as, I see the matrix as, as just a mental overlay on, on, on our physical reality that, that, mm -hmm. you know, we've all been fooled to believe so many lies. Like you said, that deny our senses. We, mm -hmm. we think we're on something that's spinning and moving, but we don't feel any movement. Yeah. You know, we think it's curving, but we don't perceive any curvature. Um, and we think that we're running out of resources because that's what they keep telling us and that we're overpopulated. And I, I heard you uh, riff on that, um, that, you know, you realize that they were, they were uh, defrauding the, the senses, <laughs> the censuses, you know, because they could get more money out of these different, yes. you know, world, worldwide agencies that that uh you know had a vested interest in making us all think that that we're running out of space and we're running out of resources and and yet all of the, the free energy stuff is suppressed and uh yeah. in in a few of my live streams we've we've um myself and a friend of mine 13th monkey who's the star fort mapper extraordinaire and oh and I also, want... also ben who you uh you did yes. a stream with on old world florida we were looking at these canal systems that are in Africa. I don't know if you're familiar with those. No, I'm not. It's like, if you look at this map, you know, a map of Africa and, and it's this big, then a, there's a space about the size of a quarter that that um, has, if you zoom in on Google Earth, you can see that there's a massive, massive canal system that's directly related to this, this in incredibly large river delta. And there's a, a, a guy who you can find... Uh, you know, I, I don't even know what to search for as far as keywords, but, you know, canal system, Africa, uh, this, this guy did some calculations on how much food you could grow per acre and how much space was there. And he estimated that, um, that one little area of Africa was capable of feeding about 10 billion people Yeah. based on, based on the, the infrastructure there. And then Mike went in my friend, 13th monkey and he started looking more closely and you could see that these canal systems extended much further than the guy's original calculations accounted for so that one small section of africa is really was capable of feeding more like 20 billion people you know and so it's just like that is one tiny bit of one of the continents and uh i'm just remind you know reminded of this this guy that you've seen that glass photograph was an old guy that's grinning because he capped this little ecosystem that he created inside of this yes. jar you know it's been like closed for like 50 years or 60 years and everything's just thriving beautifully inside and you know i think that's we're in we're in some kind of an enclosure whether it's whether it's a firmament or whether it's an energetic enclosure i don't know but um yeah it's, uh, I'm I'm in amazement. Yesterday, I I I did a tour of a syntropic farm that uh, I was I I knew the farm manager really well, and I know the owner very well. They they were clients of mine and friends of mine, and the owner is just this biochar geek like I am. And so this will what's syntropic mean? 
uh, it's synergistic farming, it's synergistic planting. So it's like the next level of permaculture. So with permaculture, you're always stacking functions and like you do chop and drop systems where you're nitrogen, nitrogen fixing plants that need, need this and that. But syntropic farming, you, it, goes, it goes generational. So you might be planting what would be considered a permanent tree to actually cut down completely in five years to be able to use the biomass from that tree in a hugel bed that then will be actually used at that point in time of some of the other trees development to you know see different types of fungus to uh, plant all different types of things in the understory it's like an amazing amazing way of doing uh, very very let's just call it way way over yield farming hmm. and so because i'm a biochar nut biochar is pyrolyzed carbon and it, we're here in the tropics there's Pyro no pyrolyzed pyrolyzed Pyrolyze, and you're going to love this because this is going to get into our in talking about plasma and also talking uh, about how many hours do we have, we have like, <laughs> i have no limits do we go for about 20 hours yeah yeah i i, I have <laughs> I no got, limits. i got like two pages of notes of so many different things we can talk about we go ahead <laughs> so, yeah. so i like you'll you'll get this because i think you have somewhat of somewhat of an alchemist mind so any alchemist, what they'll do is they'll put the reduction in what's known as an anthenor, or they'll put that in a, a retort, like a very, very high-end ceramics. They'll put the, the ceramic in a vessel that doesn't have that, as it heats up, it positively pressurizes. So no air can actually get to the whatever is being baked. And this is known as pyrolization when you heat something past its gasification point where there's no oxidative stress. So my podcast is the BioCharisma podcast. A lot of my agriculture here in the tropics is all based on biochar because there is no carbon in the soil here. All the mm -hmm. carbon, the, the rainforest was meant to have all the carbon in the trees and up. And the way the majority of the indigenous trees work here is they receive all their nutrification through the leaves. They don't receive it through the soil. So all of us dumb gringos that move down here thinking that we're going to grow all this great stuff because of the soil, we were all wrong. <laughs> the soil here is crap. Things grow fast because there's lots of water and lots of sun, but the, nutri the, the nutrient density of the food here is horrible because there's no mycelium in the ground. And because there's no mycelium, there's no nutrient transport. Is that Why is there no mycelium in the ground? Because there's no carbon. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah, when you have bauxite clay, when you have red clay, it's an anaerobic environment. And so when you have an anaerobic environment with no carbon, you you have no mycelium all the mycelium is topside and so mm -hmm. i got into making biochar because immediately our yields were 3x and so i was walking on this syntropic farm and this dude has these these durian trees that are two years old that are so you just just to clarify you're converting 
you're converting fresh wood into coal. Yes, is but that what biochar I'll, is? I'll never call it coal because coal is positively coal. Coal is negatively ionized because it's oxidized. But this this goes in the so I, I just got to give you a little background because your mind is going to blow up. Okay. So I was getting into biochar and I was learning how to take all this wood pulp from different carpenters and I would I made myself a rocket retort and the retort I would cook these wood shavings the it's a retort so it posi positively pressurize and then I would get carbon in 20 minutes like perfect biochar carbon and what makes biochar different than coal is pyrolyzed carbon is negative it's positively ionized but check this out it's the most diamagnetically charged material on the planet if bismuth is like nine or 13 on the scale biochar pyrolyzed carbon is like 45 it's like the, nothing even comes close to the diamagnetic charge of biochar and so I'm like getting into biochar. I'm seeing how everything is like growing like crazy. And it's so much easier than composting. Now, instead of composting and flipping compost, I can actually just convert all this biomass that I have. Because anybody that owns land, you know, you just have tons of leaves. A compost pile. Yeah, but I, I'm, like compost in the tropics is actually super toxic because it's so wet and humid here. If you're out there flipping your compost pile all the time, you're exposed to snakes, all these types of body bugs, it's, and then your yield is only 10%. So, and it takes a year. And here I was like, dude, I can make biochar in 20 minutes. And guess what? My volumetric yield is 60%. So, and what's the, the process for okay. just, okay. Uh, you mentioned something, the vessel before. Right. Is that similar to a crucible? Yes. As well. Okay. Yeah. A crucible. So this, and then, and an this amphenol. is interesting because this is in one of my most recent streams, I showed exactly what you're describing, where there's a video of a guy who's taking uh, calcium oxide and, and one other powder, and he's mixing the two together in a, in a thick votive candle that's about a little, little over a quarter inch thick mm -hmm. with a ceramic lid on top in a microwave. And he and he turns the thing on, and within ten seconds, he's he's transmuting these two powders that are mixed together into ruby. In I 10 saw seconds. this. So, <laughs> so by the way, in the background of all this, all of us nerds that were in like the over unity world in the early two thousands, we had been taking apart microwaves to pull out. Mm -hmm. The magnetrons. The magnetrons. We've been taking apart old cathode ray tubes to get the real good copper that was wound around those things. We had taken old uh, the old power meters and hooked them up backwards and saw that they were actually, they were the ones that were inducing. Like, like if there was a load read on them, they were, that was actually the, the oscillating mechanism that was collapsing the field for the electric for your house. Dude, one thing after another, after another, after another. So like, like, like you, I backed into all this stuff. I didn't know. I just wanted to be resilient. I just wanted to live yeah. off grid, do my thing and I'm lazy. So like, I'm like composting sucks. 
has terrible yield. Uh, and for what? I'm not, my plants aren't doing well. So I was told about biochar. I start making biochar in, I was into rocket stoves. I'm still into rocket stoves. And so I figured out it's probably, I guess I could, in, I could call myself the inventor of it, but I call it the rocket retort where the up, the up cylinder that's usually insulated. I just retrofitted one of those as I would use biomass as my insulator. And then I was like, it was always raining here. So I'd always cap it and make it like a thermal mass heater. So I'd have heat rifling up the center of the cylinder and then coming down the sides. And so I was able to cook my biomass like that, like 20 minutes, get perfect biochar. And so I'm learning about EMFs and I had clients because I'm a massage therapist. I had clients where it's like, they can't, like a lot of people at that time were moving down to Costa Rica because there was like no cell phones and like no, like no real EMF intrusion. And I'd work on them and I'd like, like I could feel the very vata, the very airy people, like they're around any EMF and they're just like completely fried. And so then I'm reading about, oh, you have this super diamagnetically charged material, this carbon that is so diamagnetically charged, you could literally have like a, a paint of this stuff and it will block whatever EMF is coming through it. So all this stuff is running through my mind, right? And then the movie Avatar comes out and I had this like, I just... I had this knowing that that when the home tree went down, that that was real, like, like in my, in my being, I was, I was devastated. Like I had a 30 minute, like just, yeah, I shed tears <laughs> as I, well. A, after the movie, like when they were rolling credits, like my friends were waiting for me cause I was just sobbing. And I thought I was, I thought I was a little nuts. Yeah. I was like, oh you, my God. You were just reliving a past life. I, I was totally in, in, yeah. you know, in that, in that thing, it was like, okay. So I'm seeing that I can instantly make carbon. Like I'm only using fire and yeah. I can make pyrolyzed carbon. I can make the most stable quote unquote coal in the world within mm -hmm. 20 minutes with bullshit fire. What the fuck do you think plasma can do? <laughs> and then my plasma mind, my <laughs> mind was blown in 2013 when David Lapointe came out with the primer fields. And I, I contacted him immediately and I was like, star in a jar. Oh my God, dude, you have no idea. And so with your work with talking about petrification and like, I think the whole model now is cohesive. I think we're coming yeah. up. I, I think we're coming up with yeah. a cohesive model. Oh, and by the way, when I was a kid and I went out to the Grand Canyon and they're like, this took millions and millions of years for this to in bullshit. No way. <laughs> no way. The yeah. petrified forest above ground, fuck off. You guys are total fucking liars. You don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah. um, Tell, tell the audience what is, what's petrification from standard science relative to what petrification is from what we're actually starting to see. Okay. Well, the, the main, you know, the main thing that they talk about is paramineralization. Some refer to it as nucleophilic substitution that goes over my head when it comes to the mechanics of it. But 
Terminalization is easier for people to understand, which is basically you have an anaerobic environment uh, where where the the biological material is being preserved, and because it's anaerobic, there's no air, there's no there's no bacteria, there's no larvae that would normally eat away at whatever it is, whether it's a body or a tree or a plant, and and so it's preserved for long enough that the mineral content that's in the surrounding material, the, the medium that it's been buried in, so think of mud floods, for example, or, you know, some like a lahar or what, whatever, there, there's, there's going to be a medium around, around that material, and those minerals that are in that medium are going to work their way into the substance while the gas and the, and the, the fluid, the liquid, is going to work its way out. And so that substitution, which they tell us takes millions of years, like in the case of the petrified forests, the the trees, they're talking about hundreds of million. Oh, this one is a 200 million years old, you know, and, um, and yet, you know, going back to biochar, I, in one of my videos, I showed that there's, um, there's a father son team from like 30 years ago, they've got videos where they're taking wood, and they put it into a little cylinder that's made of of steel or iron or whatever and then they cap it they put in a little bit of salt water so that you know you, if you have great flooding you're probably going to have salt salt water <laughs> entering into the in, into the equation and they put that on relatively ho um, low heat for a couple of weeks and they get out beautiful beautiful coal that looks like it came from a coal seam right mm -hmm. something that and um you know, thinking about the the ruby thing that I was talking about before with plasma, that's from the 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 microwave converting these these elements into ruby within ten seconds. That's huge because that's plasma petrification, transmutation of elements that's happening, you know, like that. And ruby is is the second hardest on the hardness scale, the most scale after diamond. Mm. So. So in the mainstream model, you've got you've got that kind of petrification. Then we have um, I just learned about these a couple months ago. Bog bodies. Have you, yes. Are you familiar with those? Right? Yeah. Doc, so you've got Dr. Longo has been elucidating a bunch about that. Those. Yeah. He and I are going to have a conversation soon. So it's going to be fun to talk yes. to him. Uh, a lot of overlaps with the stuff he's been sharing as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so we're talking about peat bogs. I'm not even sure exactly what peat is, but it's like a, it's basically think, um, you know, Lord of the Rings when, mm -hmm. when, uh, when, when Frodo is going towards Mordor, Mordor and he goes through this bog and he looks down and he sees all of these, these soldiers that have died mm -hmm. in a war, you know, and yes. they're perfectly preserved underwater. Well, we know that happens with high mineral content waters, for example, mm -hmm. um, you've got, uh, Mother Shipton's cave in in the UK, where people go and hang things from ropes, and the water drips down, and it, it encases them very very quickly with with you know the minerals that are that are in the water, and then those minerals eventually in, infiltrate the the stuff, and I would guess it would eventually turn to to stone. There's uh, different parts of the world. Lake Natron is a, is a classic one that I've shown in my videos as well, where animals fall in and they don't come out because it's very caustic. Mm -hmm. waters that are extremely base and natron, high by the content. way is it, it does it have a lot of natron content in it i think that's why it's got the name yeah i'm pretty you sure you know that that's the key element to use in geopolymers is it that's interesting 
Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Geopolymers, that's a whole other big one uh, to, mm -hmm. to discuss as well. Well, it's so. right in alignment with this because yeah. if you can instantly yeah. turn wood to stone with plasma, I'm, I'm totally, totally on the tip of Martin Lidke with him talking about them using the Roman fasces as a plasma weapon because yeah. I've made real Wilhelm Reich cloudbusters. Mm. You know, a real Wilhelm Reich cloudbuster looks- Making exactly, your own rain, huh? <laughs> it, looks, it looks exactly like a, a Roman fasces uh, without the, you know, without the, the quote unquote axe on the side of it. Well, it's even if you like, didn't have- yeah, yeah, it, no, it, 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 it literally looks like a Gatling gun, you exactly. know, and yeah, it, with an it, axe. Yeah, and, that, and it there the, it has the laurels around it, and it terminates like the the cloudbuster that I made. It terminated in the bottom of a five gallon bucket that was all uh, I made the organite out of magnetite. And magnetite. guess what? And so check this out. So Wilhelm Reich was emphatic that for these to really work well, you connected them to moving water, like a living water stream. And so when I did that, it did, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Well, guess what? All the cathedrals with their organs, guess what? Those organs were grounded in living water. Hmm. Literally, they yeah. had these massive conduits going from those copper and brass cylinders that are going up just like a Wilhelm Reich cloudbuster going all the way down to a, a living spring or some living waterway dude there it's all the same technology and yeah. what i'm thinking is is with the roman fasces what they could do i mean any tool can be constructive or destructive some of these some of these uh massive buildings you know i know they made out of geopolymers but i bet you some of them they were actually if trees were so much bigger in the past right would, what, would to begin with yeah they would go ahead and okay i'm gonna frame this door like i'm framing now but okay fascist time and now you have something that can weather well yeah, I, I'm sure that that existed, but you don't even have to invoke technology. I mean, if you just think about plasma storms when, when it comes to volcanic ash, yes. I mean, the photos you can find of plasma, you know, lightning storms over volcanoes. And, uh, you know, imagine a period of time where the whole ring of fire was going off at the same time, you know. <laughs> Costa Rica taught me this. Like, we were here in 08 when Poaz woke up again. And when Poaz woke up, it was supposedly dormant, you know, not dormant, but it was supposedly an extinct volcano. They built a whole city on the side of the Poaz volcano, like going towards the Caribbean side. And it woke up. <laughs> That's why I actually got into geopolymers because I was like, holy shit, they used to make Roman cement out of, out of uh, pozzolanic ash. Well, pozzolanic ash is just volcanic ash from the, from the volcano pozzolan. So it's just volcanic ash. And so I was like, huh, I live in a region that has, you know, four active volcanoes. I'm just going to go get me some ash and, you know, figure out the whole geopolymer thing. And, but the one thing that we don't have here is natron. You know, natron's a very, very big deal for, for, the, for the geopolymer to the reaction to, 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 to get like the mint geopolymer. 
So I'm right there with you. You had the whole ring of fire doing its thing, these plasma storms coming. Because when POAS went off, right as POAS went off, we had these lightning storms here that were like otherworldly. And it was because all the, because for those of you out there that don't know, when you get very, very, very fine ash that's up in, that goes up, I mean, it's part of the whole aerosol spraying campaign that they do. It changes what's known as the condensation nuclei of water. So water, the smaller and smaller and smaller you make water droplets, the, more, the higher static potential you get for dipolar static. Because that's vapor, what, the vapor canopy world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I can't, avatar days. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to uh, Jason Brashears. But the the in seeing that, what that does is it it creates a potentiation above you that is greater than the ground beneath you, and that completely changes the electrical dynamic of of biological life. Like it, 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 it's different <laughs> and it feels very weird. I've never been in a full solar eclipse, but from what people have explained to me in a full solar eclipse, I think there's something like that going on. Like there's a switch in the polarity. Hmm. That would be my guess. Yeah. I think we're probably supposed to look at it also. It's probably oh, good I, for you. Dude, I, it goes I, right. I know David, David Weiss did and he's not blind and. It's going. I've, I've I've looked into eclipses a bit and not had any problems. So oh, it's going right. Glasses. It, so. <laughs> no, it it corrects my eyes yeah. all the time. It goes right over my house in Missouri in in oh, 2024. It literally mm. goes like I have a three and a half minute peak solar. You know, hopefully that day I'll uh, I'm gonna have cloud busters out. I'm gonna like make sure. There's no aerosols blocking my view because I, I fully want to ex I want to experience that. Going back to the geopolymers, um, I I woke up to those about four or five years ago. I saw a video by uh, two two part video series by Observation Deck, and he was going through a lot of the older texts and showing that they were talking freely about this and. Some of those texts even had recipes in them. So yeah, it know, was called whole... Roman cement. Any, yeah, any... but but not just that. They could, I mean, just like they have, you know, what is it, scal scaliera, scal mm -hmm. scaliola, scaliola now, where they it's like a clay. You know, they. I I lived in Rome for a while, and you go into St. Peter's Cathedral, and there are all of these these incredible columns that are that that are marble. You know, but they're emerald green and they're mm -hmm. you know ruby red and i'm like wow i had no idea rocks could be that color but that's a that's a that's scaliola that's a procedure that that they use where they can actually create stone so there there's different techniques that have been used and you know if you were talking in one of the interviews i heard about the the different sculptures and that there's mm -hmm. a lot to suggest that they were they were, uh, you know, either molds that were poured that was some kind of a geopolymer and, you know, the, uh, but this, it was such a big thing for me because that's when I realized that the, the megalithic architecture was, mm -hmm. that's clearly how it was done, that, that these, these gigantic stones were not necessarily quarried and then lifted and moved to, you know, far off places and placed in these, these, uh, these gigantic temples but but that they were probably just creating the stone on site 
which I'm sure is also complicated in its own way. As it's actually know. not. My, my no. teacher, Dr. Davidovitz of the Geopolymer Institute, he, he figured this out in the 70s. That's, they, mm. they, they've never let him back into Egypt since then. But he was able to show because he was able to show like there were all these theories that the area was chased out by Harari or whatever that guy's Harari Hawass. Yeah. (laughs) So he was same guy that Hancock had the run in with. Right. Yeah. He he made blocks that were, I think, 98, 99 percent matches to to the blocks of the of the pyramids. And so, hmm. and he had the best logic for it. He's like, why did the, why did the pyramids get worse and worse the closer to our timeline? And it was because he showed that one of the main ingredients to the blocks was fly ash. So as they, you know, denuded the rainforest that was once the Sahara Desert or the Sahara Desert was once uh, this really lush green forest land it took a tremendous amount of trees to create the fly ash to mix with the natron to mix with the the silica to mix with the 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 crustacean calcium and then or a few big trees right well actually <laughs> actually he yeah it could have been a few big trees but either way let's just say that when you get to titanic fly, titanic trees yeah, you're getting, you're talking about a ch- so like the reduction of like, let's just, say, I don't even know what the reduction would be of a normal tree to fly ash. It's like 0.0001% of the tree would actually be the fly ash. Hmm. Like fly ash is like ash that's there after 1800 degrees of burning. So it's past the Negretto phase. It's, it's, it's white ash. And it's highly, highly, highly reactive. And so they were using this highly reactive ash with the natron, with the silica, with the calcium bentonite clay, and with the crustaceans. And mm-hmm. that that was their mix. Like he he reproduced blocks and he's like, here, test it. Like this is what it is. And so Hawass was like, bye-bye. Yeah, well, the going back to the gigantic trees, um, my suspicion is is that there was temperatures that were much high, higher than eighteen hundred degrees, and and so I, I think, you know, on the on the theme of petrification when it comes to the trees, knowing that it can happen, you know, in an instant, mm-hmm. uh, given the right circumstances, which seem to be plasma. <laughs> yes. Uh, which which you know we can we can look to the fascies uh, theoretically, or or just look to the matter of fact you know, volcanic activity. And if you had lots of volcanoes spewing ash into the skies, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you could have that kind of activity theoretically everywhere. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my videos in the last year have focused on the trees because for me, you know, looking at at Titans, I'm I'm the only one that's done a a real thorough forensic analysis of a Titan, you could Mm say. I mean, the the six-part series that I did called Unveiling a Titan, there's 50-plus anatomical and histological correlations, histological mm. being the tissue, right? For, for those not familiar with the word, the tissues of the, of the, the creature. Um, but uh, there aren't any other examples out there. So it, it's not like, it's, it's not something that, um, that people 
can really just immediately get their heads around. I mean, if they see the videos, they'll they'll understand that wow, there's this doesn't make sense from a random chance perspective that it just happens to take on all these forms and have these particular substances in the right locations and be comprised of, you know, I mean, the, the limestone alone, even in mainstream geology, they tell us that limestone is comprised of compressed coral, skeleton, shellfish, and mollusk. But they're telling us that it's been compressed for hundreds of millions of years and it's given us these limestone layers. Well, I've proven that narrative false by going around with a 1000x microscope to the limestone here and showed that there's no hint whatsoever of any shell or mollusk or coral or anything. These, It's made of the same stuff. It's the same molecular composition because it's limestone, mm -hmm. but it's not it's not what they're saying. Now, that there are like um, coquina, which is what, you know, mm -hmm. Coral Castle is made of. You can see all kinds of different photographs of this online of, of there is limestone that is made that way you know yeah. whether it's you know man-made or whether it just happens through a natural phenomenon um but um you know there's so anyway that that it's just i've i've gone in depth with that that series but a lot of people never get past the opening video because it just seems like such a a far-fetched idea and it's so hard to wrap their heads around but the evidence for the great trees is overwhelming it is in my opinion there is let's, no let's get doubt. into that man because like <laughs> i'm i dude there's just that it explains so much it explains yeah. so much i mean i i've god what video of yours did i watch where you showed the one massive tree that was laying down from on google earth massive tree laying down on google you mean you mean like a mainstream petrified tree i mean no no actually you know what i'm getting this mixed up with a, a john levi video that i saw mm -hmm. i think it was out in utah that he showed like this massive it's it's just obvious that this the lines that they're doing for all the coal and all the different mining is coming off this one massive tree when you look oh, at it from the yeah Earth. yeah yeah, I mean, this whole idea of Lichtenberg figures that can come about through electricity, obviously. You know, yes. High, high power, you know, like you can do it on wood with mm -hmm. electrodes on one one end and on the other end and put a lot of current through there. My wife into that. This fact, fractal pattern. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I want a table like that. And then, um, you know, and then you look at places like the Grand Canyon from above and it's like, oh, it's the exact same thing. So was that formed by some kind of a massive electroplasma event? Uh, definitely not by the Colorado River eroding it over hundreds of millions of years, which is the mainstream narrative. Um, or are these root structures of, of trees that have been mined? You know, I mean, there's there's so many different ways to to look at it. But um, when it comes to the 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 evidence, this is definitely one of the grandest conspiracy theories that you can actually know, in my opinion. And I I'm always referring people to the to the work of hangman 1128 his channel is absolutely amazing um he's got hundreds of hours of footage boots on the ground where he's gone and he's shown all of the different ways in which these great trees uh petrified and how they manifest and you see that it's identical in every way shape and form to the smaller version of a fresh tree of a fresh tree that's fallen and is now decomposing 
compared to the, the petrified version of the smaller trees, the larger petrified trees that, that, that we know to have existed. And then you look at the next fractal level up, which are trees that were literally miles wide at the base. And those stretched into the heavens and they, they literally covered, you know, this is the vapor canopy avatar days. Um, and so his, I mean, many people have, have focused on the stumps, on the you know Devil's Tower, and there's if you look on on Google Earth uh, in Madagascar, for example, you can find a bunch of these you know circular things that look like they're 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 plateaus. And when you get in on Google Earth and you tilt it and you look at different angles, you can actually see the wood grain, but they call it basalt columns. They want us to think that that formed through cooling lava, which is absolutely absurd. They can't. I've, I, everyone who's ever challenged me when I start talking about the trees in the comment, I'm like, send me any video of it happening. Send me any video of an in-between stage where, where what we call lava coming out of a volcano and rolling down the hill and cooling looks anything like basalt or even has straight lines. But Mike, right? Mike, our <laughs> eyes are evolutionary. <laughs> our eyes evolve just like wings of things just they evolve that way like people like when you like really start to understand like, i shared something on facebook today it's like if we evolve from monkeys how come there's still monkeys <laughs> you know it's just little things you just don't think about very much but yeah, yeah so so anyway the, his his work is amazing and and um he's very much coming at things from a bible perspective he's a, a he's a very much a Bible believer, which is great. And, uh, you know, he um, he's, con con you know, referencing, referencing scripture when he's showing his stuff. Um, and he had a whole string of, uh, you know, tough events happen in his life. And for the last year, he hasn't really been producing much. But he, like I said, he's got hundreds of really moving, hundreds of hours of really moving footage that people can check out. And if you want to know, really know, go, go to that channel and you'll know that those trees existed and um and then i've done a, a a lot of live streams on this subject in the last few months and really chunking a lot of information that he hasn't presented he's got the the best evidence you'll find but then for example like ben from the archivist waking up with analog who you you uh, talked with he and i have been friends for about four years now we we uh we hung out on a discord that no longer exists for a long time and um you know, we were bouncing these different theories and ideas back and forth in the beginning of my investigations with the mountain. And then later when I came across the Hearthstone phenomenon, which we can, we'll still get to, <laughs> we have time. Um, and uh, and uh, what I didn't ever anticipate as I started to get into all of these different crazy ideas and theories and, and come across this empirical evidence that I was trying to make sense of was that not only is there all of this plethora of, of empirical evidence, which I presented extensively on my channel for both of those subjects, but there's historical precedent, there's mythological precedent, there are all kinds of articles from newspapers from the late 1800s and early 1900s that are talking about this stuff openly, matter-of-factly, very eloquently, in a way that, that uh, does not strike me as, oh, someone just plugged in some stuff into AI so that it would spit out some fake articles. I mean, that's definitely not what Ben is doing. You know, a huge portion of his stuff is coming, you know, with with dates and times and publication names and and uh, 
And when you take a step back, when you, he's doing a, a series called Anomalous America, where he's going state by state, starting from Alaska, Western states, and working his way across, and showing that there is a there is an overall kind of unified realm theory that is emerging as you look at these these articles. And you know, about the 1920s, I think that's when the Rockefellers, you know, the robber barons in general, started to take over the publication industry. And you know, uh, um, the you know the newspaper article, the newspapers were being bought up all across the the states, and and you got the centralized control when it came to narrative, when it came to the textbooks. They revamped the university system, they revamped the medical system. Everything underwent major transformation around those times. Well, if you go back before that, which you can in the digital archives, and that's what Ben has done for all, all of us. He's been reading these things for the last seven or eight years, and. He's got on Twitter, he's got like 8,000 different clippings and you can go and you can search for different keywords and, you know, pull stuff up. It's a tremendous amount of work that he's done. It's, it's giving confirmation for all of these things that initially for me were just like, could it be, you know, I never, I never suspected for a moment that there would be so much um, evidence in favor of this stuff. You know, and the, the reason I got onto the trees was because while there's a lot of debate about the towers, you know, or the, uh, you know, Devil's Tower and, and the, the stumps, the other stuff, in my opinion, for those who have the eyes to see it, uh, is, is undeniable. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a really fascinating thing. Going to the Heartstones, I went down to the beach today. If you've seen some of the videos on this, I was with my son swimming. And this one popped Look out. Look at and I that! Thought, I, I'm like, so, so this is a this is a reoccurring shape that I've presented in probably thirty different videos on my on my channel, where it's, it's perfect. It's, it's it's a harp shape. You notice the the aorta right there at the top, <laughs> the opening for the 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 main blood vessel in the body, and uh, and so it's this. If you want, I'll I'll send this to you because this one I was thinking of. I was thinking of you, uh, and. Um, it's it's just a beautiful example, but I've got I've got literally hundreds here in my office and all all different sizes of the same reoccurring harp shape that um, it just it, it's a it's a shape that I didn't I didn't recognize ever um, in you know in my looking at rocks until one day I found I found a rock that was um, I, I found it in a river bottom and. You see this, this, there's so many specificities to these. Um, and I don't want to go into too much detail because I've done that on, on so many different videos. I just, and you can see what right do there, you uh, think, what do you, what do you think the event was that caused this? Like, well, like, for the longest, for the longest time, I was defaulting to something that was either uh, volcanic because that would give you the heat required to to destroy the outer portion of the body while preserving the organs and i that was the theory that i came up with early on because i was finding these things and you know to me it's like the empirical evidence trumps theory right and when you're finding something over and over the first stone that i found i i haven't i haven't brought it oh, it's a big one but I, I made a video called mud fossils the heart of the matter and i when i was in the river bottom that stone, I immediately recognized about eight different anatomical features. And when I was in chiropractic college, I loved 
studying the heart. And I was like one of the best in the class at knowing the anatomy. And at one point they're like, Any, does anyone want to go up on the board and, and draw the, the whole pathway of the blood vessel system of the heart? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I, you know, just like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I picked this rock up, I'm like, no way, you know, it was four times the size of a human heart, which is the size of our fist. And, um, and I immediately recognized the pulmonary artery valves. There was something called the isthmus, which was the space between the two valves. I could see indentations inside those valves where the papillary muscles, which pull the valves open, remained. <laughs> it had two openings for the, the aorta and the vena cava at the top, just where they should have been. It was heart-shaped, flattened at the top curving inward just like the heart the heart does and you know and then the outer portion of it was was white but you could see where all the white had worn away inside it was red so it had this white outer shell well that's what the heart has it's called the pericardium it's the thickest protective layer of any of the organs in the body all of the organs have this fascial protective layer and the hearts is the thickest and uh so I'm just like, there is no way. So I, I had to bring the thing home. It was, you know, heavy and hyped it out. And uh, and then I got out the anatomy book and I just kept finding item after item. It had the pulmonary, I mean, it had the um, the coronary artery. It had the coronary sulcus. It had, um, you know, and then I got, eventually I got an endoscopic, endoscopic camera to go inside and look at the chambers because there were chambers inside this thing. And, and then the next uh, thing for me was, well, clearly this is a heart because the, the odds of a, a rock that's rolled around and banged up against other rocks in a river bottom taking on this shape uh, were, were not, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like, it's not possible. But if this is a real phenomenon, which didn't make any sense to me because mainstream geology tells us that's impossible because, because soft tissue doesn't petrify, we find petrified bones right we find skeletons all over and they call those fossils but only in the rarest of circumstances would you find something that's soft tissue that is petrified now i know that that since then i've learned that that's actually bs and there are lots and lots of examples that you can refer to but they're always you know they're always spoken of as as anomalous there there were even some guys in italy uh in the 1800s that knew how to petrify flesh Girolamo Segato and another guy named Paolo Gorini, and there are museums dedicated to their their works where you can go in and you can see what used to be a kidney and what used to be a heart and what used to be a brain and what used to be a breast and all of these things have been turned to stone. And that how did they do it? Ah, nobody knows or nobody is telling because uh, you know I think uh, Segato in my first video I, I said he, he uh, it was a mysterious Epstein like death you know. Um, suddenly, and, got him. suddenly. You know, so did he have a little mini fascies in his workshop or something? I don't know, you know, but, but the point is that we're told these things and we just take them, you know, at face value about how old stuff is, how it, how it formed, you know, the cycle of petrogenesis is so simple. Uh, it's laughable when you start to see the, the complexity in the mineral kingdom, when you see all the different manifestations of, of stone. They tell us these stones, like here again, this is the harp shape, and you'll see there's this curved underside here, and it's almost like a knife edge on this side, and then that side will be thicker, and oftentimes we'll have an indentation or an opening where the, the pulmonary arteries would have been. Yeah, and, and so this, this shape, and then, so they tell us that this 
was a lump of clay that 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 got compressed in in another substrate that was around it and and basically oh. pushed it into this shape that became a sedimentary layer and then that sedimentary layer had so much pressure above it that it started to heat up and then that heat caused things to start to melt and morph and that's what they call metamorphic rock because that's where we get our granite and our marble and all these these rocks that are beautiful and have the swirls in them. Mm -hmm. That's how they're saying that those are coming about. Dead plant and animal life over millions of years under the seafloor, on the earth, layer after layer eventually melts and becomes metamorphic rock. And then tectonic activity breaks those up, pushes them up, creates mountains, that breaks off, and that's and then this pops out of a softer layer that's surrounding it. And, and it's just laughable when, when you start to see the detail, you know, of these stones and how, how often this, that, that curved underside. So when the heart contracts, this gets back to the work of Francisco Torrent Guas that we began at the beginning. When the heart contracts, it's got a spiral contraction. It's vortextual, yes. as, you well, as you well know. You mentioned Thomas Cowan. I, I did an interview with him on, on my channel because I wanted to pick his brain about all this stuff. Uh, you know, because he knows a lot about cardiology. And uh, Steiner as well said there were, uh, there were three things that he said was crucial for a person to really wake up to the true nature of reality. And, and one of the items on that list was to understand that the heart is not a pump. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute. But, but the, that spiral contraction, also, if you looked at the heart from the bottom, it's doing this. Right. Right. There's your there's your five Fibonacci golden, you know, all that. All, it's just and that's literally you can see videos of hearts in 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 vivo, <laughs> you know, doing its doing its number. And, and you can see that contraction happening. So these these stones at the bottom have this propeller twist to them. You're a pilot. You said you came from a family of pilots. Right. You know that yes. the old the old props. Well, yeah. well, when you look at this stuff, you can see it's got that same shape now tell me how this happens bouncing around in a river bottom right that, because that's that's the official story this was clay compressed that way popped out and then river water bouncing abrasion and some you know mineral uh erosion that's what's that's what's giving rise to it mm. um in the official in the official model so, uh, you know, I've done so many different things. I don't just have a bunch of rocks. I've, I've sliced them open. I have one video called Broken Hearts Tell Tales where I went out live into the field and just like, there's another one, there's another one. <laughs> I've got one called, uh, uh, you know, a little field work and I'm in, I'm in a river bottom because that's where there, a lot of these stones are gathered, but it's not the river action that's creating this, this phenomenon. This one, if, if I had water and I were to wet it, you would see that it, it's still fleshy colored. And it's got sulcus lines in it, which is where the heart, the heart fibers meet. And it, we talked in the beginning about the band unraveling. Mm -hmm. And when it rolls back up, the fibers meet in different lines. And those lines are called sulcus lines. And that was, you know, that was a huge thing that I discovered through the works of, of Guasp that I hadn't even noticed in the stones when I was gathering these. So I don't know. I've been going for a while now. <laughs> it's amazing because like, think about I, where my mind wants to go is 
because it's sort of in people's minds ever since the corona is this whole notion of the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset it's also there's this whole thing with people that believe that the solar minimums bring gr greater volcanic you know activity and so you know i see i see my cosmology is that this is god's hologram and it's fractal in nature and i do believe i forget what the i i do believe somewhat in retro causality because to have a free will hologram to have a free will realm you'd actually have to have the capacity for retro causality so i don't fully negate the power of people's consciousness and the fact that when somebody gets convinced of something you could have a pareidolia effect obviously and not everyone's equal by the way in, in my framework i think there are different people have different capacities they have different energetic capacities so you can actually have people that are legitimately creators like <laughs> did you ever see the movie the nines with ryan reynolds the nines is that the is that the really dystopian animated no. movie no 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 i haven't seen that one now the movie came out in 07 and he's essentially a nine that has forgotten that he's like essentially a demigod and uh he's living three different lifelines at the same time hmm. and he's slowly but surely starting to understand that the different aspects of himself at the same time are all like communic like communicating with each other but mm. in it the the movie line goes from like him being completely unaware and buying into like modern linear time to like going to the end where he understands he's a nine and like he's actually creating the 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 matrix so it's, it's actually a really good movie. It's kind of campy. It's like a B movie, but it's fun. It's fun to watch because of the, the consciousness aspect of it. So I do believe that you can have pattern recognition and then your, your <laughs> environment will slowly but surely morph. Like it will morph. So I'm not one of these people that doesn't this believe This ties that. into simulation theory as well. You're, and, and you're right. Because <laughs> the whole thing is, is, once again, I really, you know, I lived in an ashram where it was Atma Vichara Ashram. It was like, know thyself. Like the whole study of Atma Vichara is the self-inquiry. And then I'm also on the other half of it, the Western mind aspect of it is, you know. The, the monkey mind. No, the Western side of it is the road to certain, uh, certainty is the road to ruin. Like mm. there, there's truth in that. So when people are looking for history, they're saying this is what it is. Well, that's certainty. And certainty is the road to ruin. So I'm not excluding that little part of me that's like, hey, the only moment that there is in the hologram is right now we're projecting back we're we're hypothesizing and all this and yes there is an objective collective reality yada 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 and guess what whatever you give your attention to energy energy flows and goes there Where attention goes yeah. exactly and so i'm not completely negating that aspect of it either 
I'm of the mind that our reality can be known. I, I believe that we are made in the image and likeness of our creator. And we're given the capacity to know through our senses, like not through some hypothetical means or bullshit. Like we, we embody for a reason, like we're embodied. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I read the, the Egyptian book of the dead and they talk about the Ka being what's the, the life essence stored. And like, you're, you're talking about walking down a river of hearts, man. You're walking down a river of petrified hearts. And yeah, some people, I mean, this is the Indians, the, you know, the natives, uh, whatever you want to call them, they, they talked about, you know, walking on the ancestors. Yeah. I did a Temes, I did a Temescal a couple of days ago and, and, right. uh, and the, um, the ceremony involved bringing the stones in from outside in, and putting them into the, you know, the central area. And the stones were referred to as abuelitas. Exactly. You know, the, the, the grandmothers. grandmothers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, so, I mean, it's it's our modern Western mind that um, has been brainwashed and programmed to believe we're paradigm blind. It's, a, it's another term that I that I coined, and maybe it was used before me, but I, I looked online, I couldn't find anyone using it. But we're blinded by the paradigms that we've been fed as we're growing up: heliocentrism, evolution, you know, um, all, all of these different ways of perceiving reality. They, they, they're like blinders, they're, they're lenses that, that cover our eyes. And so then, you know, when something happens or we see something, instead of just seeing it for what it is, like, wow, that looks a lot like a heart. <laughs> Maybe it is. No, no, that could, it looks like a heart, but it couldn't possibly be one because a whole bunch of people in authority told us that that's not possible. Um, I, w- I was also thinking of the, the concept of the egregore. I'm sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with exactly. that. You know, this, this and, and to me, that's also kind of, you know that Jason Brashears talks about uh, reality tunnels, and uh, that that it's a way of kind of you've got the errants that are like Neo and the Matrix that are like waking up and like resisting the the program, and they're a real pain in the butt for the system. You know, just like all of the the you know the truther community, if mm-hmm. you want to call it that, is for the mainstream because we're we're causing all kinds of other people to wake up as we start to draw attention to these things that don't make sense that everyone has just taken for granted through their whole life. So, you know, when it comes to the, the matrix and a simulation for many years now, I've, I've, I've seen, I mean, obviously we live in the simulation in the mind of God, ultimately the creator, you know, it's envisioned this, this reality that we're in. So in a sense, even, even from, you know, a, a religious God perspective, we're in a simulation. But if you think of it from like the matrix perspective, I see that as an overlay in our reality that we're, you know, we've got our computers, we've got our newspapers, we got our television stations, we have consensus reality. And, and all of that is, is giving us a certain way of looking at the world, which gives us all of these blinders. And the, the egregore is an interesting one. And I start to wonder, like, is it a simulation? You know, like when I started to find these heart stones, I made videos about them. People are like, oh, I'm finding these too. And they're sending me photographs of them. And it's like more and more and more. And then I, then like the more I look at it, the more I refine my ability to see the pattern and to recognize things that I didn't recognize initially, like that, you know, this, this bottom, this bottom twist that it has. I didn't, it was, it was after a whole string of synchronicities that I, that I came across that realization that had to do with Francisco Torrent Wasp and, and that's, 
that's a crazy story as well because the guy who made that discovery about the band he he lived and worked his whole life 10 15 minutes from where i live incredible you were in a resonant you, know, you were in a resonant pattern with him clearly i mean i i, I eventually called up the uh, the foundation because he passed away about 18 years ago and i called up the the foundation for francisco torrent and just to see if i they could put me in touch with a cardiologist familiar with his work because he was a total you know maverick that was you know maligned by his colleagues for for many many years and then eventually was vindicated because it was proven undeniably that one, the, the structure of the heart is what he was claiming it to be, but also his theories about the vortexual flow, these, mm -hmm. these opposite spiraling vortexes, um, you know, they were able to prove that with positronic emission and, and CAT scans. And, um, you know, they took a cow's heart and they blew it up. And then as it, you know, expands and then contracts, they, they did CAT scans and they could see that not only would, you know, the, the fibers themselves were spiral, mm -hmm. <laughs> not just not just the flow of the blood through it. So he made these incredible discoveries and, and um, at the end of his life, he was finally being acknowledged, but but his work still hasn't been integrated into into the, the school books. People are not taught this. We're still taught that it's a four-chamber pump in the schools. Mm -hmm. Even cardiologists going through cardiology school, if they hear about GWASP, it's, it's just like a little aside. Oh, by the way, the, you know, instead of being the main thing that they need to know, <laughs> you know, and some of these people are doing surgery on the heart. It's just, it's crazy. But my mother, back to the, my mother, forty-five years as cardiac rehab nurse. Uh huh. So well, I I've get. Had I gave her Cowan's book five years ago. She didn't say a peep. <laughs> so I'm exercising some karmic demons, you know, from my family. Cause I mean, this whole industry, like in South Florida, like, you know, cardiac rehab is like the medical, like all the old people moved to South Florida to, you know, get, get their vitamin D and, uh, you know, take long walks on, on flat land so that their hearts, you know, don't give out on them. And so I, I grew up with all that propaganda about the heart being a pump. And then I was like telling my mom, I'm like, dude, the aortic arch, like, you know, and I'm it goes the my, wrong way. <laughs> and I'm telling my mom, I'm like, look, click, click, click. I actually build ram pumps. I build cavitation pumps. I the know amount, how this works. <laughs> the, the, the amount of energy that's needed just from an oscillation it's just an oscillation. It's, it's two valves doing dun, 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 dun. What does that sound like, mom? Dun, 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 dun. I mean, your whole career has been, you know, doing stress tests and, and following that. Well, you're, you're a Schaubergian also. And yes. I, I, I came across Schauberger after Gwasp mm -hmm. and I came across Gwasp after I'd already been finding these stones. Awesome. And, um, you know, I, uh, when I saw him roll up that, the, the heart in, in this documentary about his life, and I saw the meeting point of those lines, I went, oh my God, I, I ran into the, you know, the, the kitchen where I store these, these stones. And uh, um, many of them had the curved lines in exactly the right place. So they already had the harp shape, they had the indentations for the blood vessel openings at the top, 
They were either indentations or they were creases like pinched off openings or actual openings where, where you could see inside and, and some of them have chambers. Uh, and, you know, and it was just like, there were so many things that were, were lining up. And then I started to look into Schauberger and I, and I learned about the, the vortexual flow. And uh, so I did a video called um, Helical Hearts, Petrified Organs and Synchronicities because it was this nexus of all these different ideas that were coming together. Then I reached out to uh, the, the foundation. I called up and Guasp's wife answered the phone. She's still oh, alive. And, and, I, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so thrilled to, to talk to you. And I was a, I'm a huge uh, fan of your, your husband's work. And, uh, and I, I made a bit of uh, discoveries of, of my own that are loosely related and I would love to get in touch with a cardiologist who, you know, is sympathetic to his work that would be open-minded enough to, to look at this stuff and, and, and consider um, the possibilities. And that's actually one of the, the reasons I reached out to Tom Cowan. He's the only person I've, I've ever interviewed on my channel. There's loads of interviews of me talking about this stuff, but he was the first person I ever interviewed and uh, because he, he was into this stuff. And I had never heard him. He, he was coming from a from an anthroposophy uh, perspective, you know, he studied a lot of the work of Steiner. Um, and I, I can't, I think he also mentioned Schauberger, but I read his book, uh, human heart, cosmic heart. And I went straight to the index. Cause I, as soon as I got the book, I'm like straight to the index, looking for Guasp's name in the index and it wasn't there. And I'm like, and, and of course, you know, in the years that followed, he heard about Guasp and he learned about the, the, the myocardial ventricular band and all of this. Um, so he was totally on board with with all of that, um, and and he thought he thought the things that I had uh, that I had to, to share with with regards to the stones were incredibly fascinating. That was definitely worth uh, looking into. So he had a number of uh, uh, he had a guy that was one of Gosp's main students that that he's he's had interactions with. So I'm still trying to get a contact for him and uh, just to continue it. But I. Uh, the wife gave me the name, the name and number of the son, um, whose name was also uh, Paco Guasp. Like he, you know, he was junior. He was named after his father, and I called him up that same day, and I was like, "Hey, you know, I, I love your dad's work. I'm interested in, uh, you know, getting in touch with somebody, and I'd love to, you know, talk to you or somebody else about it." And he's like, "Well, I'm, I'm coming to your town today if you want to meet." Nice. You know, so I had like three hours to arrange all of the stones, you know, and I did a whole video about that called called Son of a Titan. And I didn't film it. I didn't record it because I was I was concerned. Uh, you might think I was a little weird if I if I started, you know, hey, can I record this conversation? You know, so so I I, uh, I tell the, the tale of, of that event, that that meeting. And it was it was very interesting. We, we discussed a lot of things. He was here for almost 90 minutes and. Um, he was I the whole thing was pretty puzzling for him and he wasn't a cardiologist and he was familiar with his dad's work to you know to a degree but you know we we've never had any contact after but it was it was a very uh very interesting exchange I was building for the owner of uh what was it called it was the only whole food supplement at the time organic whole food supplement I think his god I'm forgetting his name the, the farm's name's Finca Luna Nueva, and he had a magazine there. It's like 2010, and it was talking about the spiral heart. 
and I don't, hmm. I didn't, I didn't read an index. I didn't read to see who they were referencing. But I had been three years into studying Schauberger. And one of the big things with the over unity world is like understanding the difference between bioelectricity and, you know, the electricity that we use. And over unity being free energy, right? For, for those who are familiar with use, the term. I'll never use the term free energy. I'm sort of a. It always takes work. You have to set up the system. But once the yes. system's in place, then you don't have to fuel it. It's the, it's the example you brought up earlier. Like you take a potato, you plant the potato, that's all energy. Right. And then the potato is going to give you more potatoes. Yeah. So that's the way nature is. Nature is all about signaling. So when you signal nature correctly, she signals you back with abundance. It's just that simple. And so Schauberger was emphatic that people didn't know what electricity was. And he was like, electricity is temperature differential. So I had been studying Ayurvedic massage, which like I told you is rebranded to polarity therapy. And what you learn in Ayurvedic massage is people have different doshas. And a dosha is a constitution. It's the energetic constitution of a person. So I'll massage this massive man that feels light as a feather because he's mainly air. Or I could touch, and you're a chiropractor. You feel this all the time. Or Yeah, I'll some touch. small people feel like they weigh literally a ton. Right. You're and, just like, and, and trying makes, to lift them makes no sense because you put them on a scale and they weigh what they weigh like a 95 pound girl weighs 95 pounds a 300 pound man weighs 300 pounds but the way they feel and i was first aware of this when i was in college because um i pissed off a friend of mine that was a 275 pound defensive end and i weighed 185 pounds at the time so he wanted to kill me and we got in a fight and I flipped him, like I was able to flip him. And I was like, was that, was that just adrenaline? Like, what was that? <laughs> like, how did that happen? But as a 185 pound man, I actually have like the energetic constitution of like a 400 pounder. And I had- a You look coach, like you're built sturdy. <laughs> yeah, I had a coach tell me once, he's like, dude, you're like the George Foreman of kickers. He's like, you're not built on speed. You're built on like pure power and weight. And in my massage practice, that's really helped because no matter who I'm with, energetically, my energetic body can, can do work on their body. And I would only teach people that had a similar kappa pitta or pitta kappa constitution, which is fire and earth constitution to work to actually do the type of body work that I do because it takes an impressionable energetic body to be able to do what you're doing. If you're too vata, you're not gonna, it's not going to work the same. It's not going to be, you can do other things. You could do cranial sacral. You could do all this other stuff that's very subtle. But what I'm doing is a little bit more gross. You know what I'm saying? And so you have these different densities, these different energetic densities that are expressed that are very tangible, but yet on the, on the, on the scales, it's not readable. That's an enigma. Yeah. 
Like when mm -hmm. I try to talk to my stepfather, who was a surgeon for 45 years, and Johns Hopkins, and knows everything, and everybody else is an idiot. And I tried to explain these types of things to him, yet I would give him a foot massage, and he would literally like melt and like be so grateful. But yet I would start to talk to him about these types of things, and he'd be, he was just like, oh, you're just an idiot. You're a massage therapist. You're some hippie in, in the tropics or whatever. I'm like, dude, like, come on. Like, what did you just experience? And yeah, so totally. The, I forget why I started to bring up the, the whole dosha and energy concept because there was there was a, a train of thought that that is significant to what we're speaking about right here. Shoot, I lost it. I, I lost why 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 I actually brought that specific aspect up. We were talking about over unity. We were talking about. Um putting in a little into nature and uh, oh, the whole the whole yeah. signaling mecha mechanisms darn it I lost it oh. <laughs> I got too long-winded I got I got to work on that uh, so happens to me all the time so what I would like to kind of wrap this conversation up with because we're gonna have to do multiple we're gonna have to do multiple we're, we're, we're gonna wear people's earballs out so what I want to kind of I want to go down the imag imaginational lane here and think of what happened to create a river of hearts. What it's not just in the river. The river bottom is where you get a concentration of what you know, what where you find these these smooth stones, which we're told are are made smooth by the river action, but they're found all over the valley. They're found buried in mud. Yeah. I I, I understand. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to for those people that only listen. I'm trying to well, to impress upon them. I can like, tie a whole bunch of thre threads together on, on this subject because you've asked about petrification. We've talked about the trees. We've talked about the organs. Um, you know, they're they're scalable. Also, like this this is one here. I have already shown the harp shape, and if you you see, it's broken. So, and and when you look at the, you know, inside, you can see the the iron is in there, which is going to be your your from the blood um the the um the petrification process we didn't really get into it i have a theory called boiled egg theory which had to do with the outer portion of the body being destroyed through either volcanic activity which would be you've got pyroclastic flows which can go at 1500 degrees celsius plus the the winds of you know a volcanic eruption can can reach you know, supersonic sound speeds. So, so the, the power of, of a major volcanic eruption is, you know, off the, off the chart that could totally be destroying the outer portion of the body while the, the organs are hardening. And why would they harden? I, I call it boiled egg theory where, where the, the, the organ is surrounded in a protective fatty layer. It's floating in fluid. And then you have the pleura cavity, which is, which is another big, fatty protective layer that all of the organs are in. And, and as the body is, is being destroyed from the outside in, just like an egg that's boiling, how it hardens, that goes from soft fluid, the, the, the proteins denature because of the heat and it hardens. That was the, that was the theory, but I was puzzled about where the bones and the bones um, are, are interesting because 
if you put bone into a crock pot, which is, you know, a pressure cooker, mm-hmm. bone softens to sponge and then eventually turns to gel. So bone, so bone would disappear while organ would harden. I brought up the bog bodies before. That's an interesting thing as well, because the acidity, I didn't know this until just a month or two ago, the acidity causes the bones to dissolve, but the, the, the content of the, the composition of the peat bog also causes the organs to harden. So event, essentially what you end up with is a skin bag filled with hardened organs. And then eventually that bag is going to wear away. And those hardened organs might not be stone yet, but that might be finished off by the paramineralization process that I described before, which is this infiltration of different minerals. But getting back to the big trees, you've got the electroplasmatic events that we talked about in the form of volcanoes. But we, you know, if you if you take it up to the big scale of the realm, like what are we in? I know you're a toroid earther <laughs> like I am, or, or you know, I'm not exactly sure what your whole cosmology is, but you know, if you think of a Tesla ball and you you can touch the outer part of these these balls and you know the plasma kind of goes to your fingers and everything. I think of it, you know, every once in a while we get one of these Phoenix events, the Medusa event, the you know, the where where it's realm-wide cataclysm. Well, in the rainforests, 80%, 90% of the wildlife exists on the tree or in the tree. Mm-hmm. It's not on the ground, right? It's, it's actually in the trees. So if you have these gigantic trees that reach up into the heavens and you have some kind of a major plasmatic event, mm-hmm. all of that wildlife that's up there is going to be closest to that event. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get hit first, just like, you know, the, the the lightning rods on buildings and trees get hit. Like, you're not supposed to go. I also got really close to a lightning strike about a year ago. We were walking right at the base of Mont Go, the mountain. And this strike hit about 100 feet away from us. And it, uh, it was the loudest sound I've ever experienced yeah. in my life. And we also wanted to just like, you know, I... I didn't know then you don't hang out by the trees, <laughs> you know, we're like, you know, so we got lucky. We didn't, you know, the tree didn't get hit. But uh, so there's so much power there that, that, you know, interacts with our realm every now and again. Well, the Bible, and I'm not sure if it's the Bible, but some of these ancient texts talk about body parts raining down from the skies and they talk about the stones will cry out. And so, you know, it's possible that all of those creatures that are up in the, up in the the tree canopies, uh, just got that that shit got hit, you know, yeah. and then and then it rained down petrified organs, and not just hearts. It's people ask me, well, why just hearts? It's not just hearts. There's all kinds of stones out there that look exactly like kidneys, and they got little dimples right where the blood vessels go in and in and out of a kidney. You got rocks that look like livers. You've got all kinds of stones that the body produces in the form of gallstones, kidney stones. You've got bazores. You've got all of these phenomenon that that exists in the body in very large numbers. There's over 600 lymph nodes in the body, which is like a little mini organ also surrounded in a fatty sac. So one body could yield a shit ton of of different stones potentially. And, And this is all based on science that we know of, not mainstream (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I call it biogeology. The good title for this would be bio biochurisma meets biogeology, you know, mm-hmm. because because that's what you know we've been talking about is all these different overlaps of what you're working with, what I've been looking at and finding. So 
just one last point within this whole thing of these great trees. Clearly, they they were destroyed. They're not around anymore. Did they get cut down? That's the whole. That's my next video is is addressing the whole felling Titanic trees. Like, who cut them down? How? What technology was used? I've touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, was it cut down or, or were they destroyed through some kind of cataclysm? Did a great flood come and and either through freezing or hot waters? Did it cause the the upper portion of the the you know the, the tree to die and then the other upper portion above the the water line is is what decayed and decomposed and that's why we get the flat tops because below is stone and above wasn't. Mm -hmm. There's a lot you know there's so many different theories, but the plasma thing is interesting because. Plasma hitting trees is going to transmute the elements. So this gets back to what you were talking about like two hours ago about um, this fly ash or, or whatever was the very rare thing. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe there was a whole lot more of it because those trees got hit with a whole lot more than 1800 degrees. You know right. what I mean? And yeah. they used all of that material to create all of our megalithic realm. And the further down you go, as we're seeing with, you know, the works of people like Graham Hancock and, and all, you know, and the stuff that that Ben has been been showing the archivist, the further down you go, the more impressive all the architecture gets. Yes. It should be the it should be the other way around. We shouldn't be having the megalithic architecture below, right? Mm -hmm. And and so clearly there was a magnificent realm that who knows there might have been a hundred billion people living here wonderfully because they were working in harmony with nature and over unity in every way, shape, and form that they could you know, through their use of water and electric and all of this stuff. But the, the, the final point is that when, when that plasma hit those trees, if that's what happened, it would have transmuted many, many elements. And I think that's why we're finding the, 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 the quartz that if you, if you go to hangman's footage, quartz is the sap. And, and uh, there are certain people out there that have a real problem with sap uh, being quartz because they immediately default to sap is amber. That's what petrified petrified sap is amber. That's the mainstream narrative. But how many different types of sap are there? How many different kinds of trees? Each tree has two different kinds of sap, phloem and xylem. You know, each tree is going to have its own molecular composition of sap. And if you see the footage of Hangman 1128, you'll know that that you've got the tree and you can see the sap running through it. Well, guess where they're getting gold and silver and all of these rare elements from? Opal. Opal is tree. Opal is coming from tree. Like so much of what we, you know, just think of as these, these things that came about through really, really long processes may have had happened very, very quickly. And I've been theorizing for about four years now that that volcanoes are are the the burned out tree stumps right that that um some of these elements trans either the tree already had uranium and plutonium and radium in it and was producing that through biological transmutation we haven't really touched on the difference between biological transmutation and electroplasma transmutation but but bodies transmute elements also yes you know an eggshell has more calcium in it than the than the chicken is 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 consuming. It's eating, yeah. Yeah, you know. So, um, so through biological transmutation, they might have been creating all of these rare minerals and and you know different elements, or 
those trees are getting hit. Well, if they if they have the the, the building blocks to create uranium plutonium radium, maybe that's what's going on deep down in the earth is is that 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 burned out tree root structure is is now smoldering and every once in a while percolates to the surface. And that would also explain lava tubes and, and their unusual shape. And they look very much like root structures. You've got, I, my last video was called, um, um, or no, second to last was spelunking Titanic trees. Yes. Looking at, at the, the, the action adventure twins going down 500 feet and then through these snaking channels and another 500 feet down and through, looks like root structures to me it looks like they're they're going down through the inside the insides of these these titanic trees so it so, like you, you touched on before everything is just like dovetailing in a way that it shouldn't if these were just crazy ideas it's just one thing after another after another that all lines up in support of these these crazy you know crazy topics this all i just had this great epiphany and tell me what you think about it because my question has always been why have the organism shrunk you know like if you had this megafauna and megaflora now we don't and, you know the epiphany i just had was oh well this is a fractal and before the realm was actually much larger and now yeah. we're, we're in the concentration phase the the known realm is much smaller and so all the organisms are reflecting that but during the maybe time, it's expanding and the bigger stuff is outside that's well, another well, way I, to look at it because i i it's a very weird thing um the way i read the pudanas which is like the ancient vedic uh story of creation essentially the way i interpreted it not saying I'm correct. The way I interpreted it was you went from the Kali Yuga, the Iron Age, to the Golden Age. You don't go Kali Yuga, the Iron Age, to the Copper Age, Copper Age to the Silver Age, Silver Age to the Golden Age. It goes, it, it's entropic. You start at the Golden Age and you go all the way down. Mm. And then it resets and you're back at the Golden Age. So with you explaining this and like you're you're excellent, I have to say your work is is so good. What I think has occurred is we started in a pool that was in this big, the Satya Yuga, and we're now in a pool that's this big. Like if you were to take the Prague clock, <laughs> we used to encompass the the entire Prague clock, and then as with each yuga cycle, with with each like major cataclysmic cycle, the the pool gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to the to the greatest level of concentration, and then boom, it goes back out. Because hmm. I, I this is how crystals grow, you know. It's how the the water flows. It's it's you know implosion technology i know you're a big cavitation yes. guy we didn't get to cavitation at all we could talk hours on just cavitation because that's what chiropractic is all about is that adjusted moment is is a cavitation um uh and then you were talking about retrocausal that cause caus, uh, causality um and that ties into you know things like solitonic transmission 
through fascia, um, you know, where, where, where communication is going in both directions. Definitely. Um, so that, that, that's, we'll, we can nerd out on that stuff next time. But um, when it comes to the whole fractal thing, I mean, just one, two simple things are, you know, in a pressurized system, um, you have gigantism. Yes. Right. So you take a hyperbaric chamber, you, you, you add, you know, pressure and increase the oxygen concentration, which if you had a whole lot of trees, you know, that were uh, inhabiting the realm, it would have been a completely different environment in every way, um, the, the vapor canopy days. So that's one aspect of it. And they've, they've done experiments in modern times where they've gotten gigantism out of tomato plants and different things just by increasing the pressure and the oxygen content a little bit. And then the other thing when it comes to gigantism, not only is there, even in the mainstream narrative, we got our dinosaur, you know, fairy tale, um, but but gigantism is is just a matter of fact in, you know, in the ancient world, um, everything was bigger back then. We have our myths of our titans and everything, um, but things grow to, to match their container. You know, Precisely. like a, tur a turtle will keep growing and growing and growing. So will sharks, apparently. Everything just keeps growing, you know. So so it might be that, you know, if you, it's like this um, just I, I, natural writing mechanism where, okay, now we got too many beings. Now we need to reset and everything is going to be smaller so that we can have more life that thrives. And it just keeps going. It's the opposite because the perimeter defines the center. So it's not that there's too many beings. There's actually exactly this whole thing is doing this. And it's going to go all the way to the zero point, And then it's going to mm. go back out. So I had never, this, this conversation gave me that piece of the puzzle. Because, you know, my grandfather found on his farm in Tennessee in like 1925 or 30, something like that. They found a, a, a 50 foot skeleton. Hmm. Like I grew up, like there was like. But that's impossible. Like, <laughs> yeah, giants. Yeah, there's giants. You know, yeah. I played football with men that were like, you know, giants. And yeah. so it's just like, yeah, there's giants. Like, so what? And so this is. Well, this is so. This is what's so beautiful about the work of Ben is he shows that just a hundred years ago the 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 narrative in the newspapers in the the mainstream zeitgeist was that these things are a matter of fact and it's not being spoken about like you know a national enquirer article this is just you know the, there's so much correlation state to state newspaper to newspaper talking about the same phenomenon phenomena over and over again which is gigantism skeletons petrification he's he's pulled up articles this is all stuff that's come my way after the fact that's just helped and supported what i was already reporting on like petrified forests that they harvested because they were the trees contained 60 percent copper and 40 percent gold and 30 percent silver i mean these are huge huge numbers like oh we were getting fifteen thousand dollars to the ton from these petrified trees in silver a hundred years ago. Well, what, what is that? That's like 15 million or uh, 1.5 million or something yeah. today, you know, and that's from one ton. 
So where did all those materials go? I don't know. You know. It's well, like... you'll like this fact. <laughs> you'll like this fact because this might go in alignment with what you're talking about with your theory with the volcanoes. Back in 2008, I ran into these these four elders uh, that were completely analog at Tesla Tech, and they took a shine to Moshe and I um, at at the at Tesla Tech. Because Moshe is an alchemist, and I'm sort of like a quasi-alchemist. <laughs> and this, this one gentleman, he kind of took me under his wing through snail mail, and he's he was essentially telling us that they convert magnetite into all precious metals. Hmm. And they said, don't ever reduce it to platinum because platinum is the biggest, it, it's the biggest unknown monopoly that's out there. Like you just don't do that. If you do that, you're 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 bye bye. But they were saying that you mean you mean they'll make you go bye bye, right? <laughs> right. And magnetite is the prima material. It's the black. It's 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 the uh, for those of you out there, magnetite. That you know, we're told it's just iron oxide, but it's iron oxide with every other precious metal attached to it. And it comes from volcanoes. So wherever you have volcanoes, you have this reduction, this negrito reduction that's spewed out of like all the black sand beaches are always near volcanoes and it's magnetite. And guess what? The magnetite has all the precious metals. In it. So they- at the, end of, at the end of my last video um, that um, it's called uh, the, the Great Trees Made Gold. Exactly. Um, at the end of that that video, I show a black sand beach, and it's Dan Hurd, who's this prospector guy with, he's got like a 1.3 million subs or something on YouTube, and he's, he's he shows these incredible sites. Well, he goes to this one beach where there are all of these garnets, I think, um, you know, the, the, these incredible gemstones are just like there by the millions, um, and and when you look up and you see the area behind him, it's all volcanic it's got all of the micro layering and it's got all the same breakdown of tree that you see um, in the hangman's videos hangman has shown very clearly that that certain parts of the tree on certain kinds of tree become coal and then coal when heated enough begins to vitrify and becomes obsidian <laughs> and, it, and it's just so obvious when you start to see that it's like what's the shape of the volcano it, it just you know, the cinder cone could could also be ancient mining waste in some some circumstances. Giants, you know, if you look at, you know, mining waste and slag heaps and everything, a lot of there's a lot of similarities. And so that could be a fractal level up with the giants doing their thing. But these trees are it, it seems pretty, pretty obvious that that volcanism and, and the great trees go hand in hand. So check me, it anyway. out because a lot of people don't know this either. Guess what makes gunpowder? Carbon. Hmm. So you have these explosions. So let's just just let, let's end this on this imaginal thing. You have a tree that's a few miles tall in a realm that's bigger, in a realm that let's just say is three, four X the size of, of what we're aware of right now. So the storms are bigger. Let's just say there's one of these solar minimum or maximum events and boom, 
is massive, like something like the size of a state of lightning comes down and cracks this three mile high tree. That electricity, because a lot of people don't know with lightning, you have energy coming up from the ground and down from the top. So that those currents that you're talking about, everything's traveling through the root system on its way up to the point that it's on the way down and it meets in the middle. Because I, I have the distinction of actually being in a car when I was a little boy that was struck by lightning. I grew up in the in the lightning capital of the world. Like, you know, <laughs> South Florida is the lightning capital. That's what happened to you. No wonder yeah, you're so smart. <laughs> Just nutty, nutty lightning storms all, all the time. But like I remember as a little kid seeing lightning. I actually was, went to go get mail when a storm was rolling in. And I was looking at this golf course because I could see the lightning in the distance. And it hadn't, it wasn't raining by me. And that's where it's the most dangerous. It's right on the fringe. And so I went to go get the mail. And I looked down to look at the golf course. And lightning struck a tree that was probably 100 meters from me. But what I saw was I saw a light come up and then the, the light come down and then the explosion. So imagine having a tree that was three miles high with that, that surge coming up and then the surge coming down at the same time. Boom, instant gemstones, instant explosion, hearts raining, body parts raining, the whole thing. Then all the water that that tree had been sucking up is turned to steam. Yep. And and it's it's opening up those channels that reach down to the waters of the deep. So there's there's you know major flooding potential as well. And the deep waters are high mineral content, which ties into petrification very nicely, especially if there's heat involved. Uh. <laughs> And the thing is, people don't understand this about steam. You take one drop of water, turn it to steam, it occupies 1,400 times the I think volume. it's 1,700. 1,700 times the volume. Yeah. So imagine you had a, a tree that was three miles high. Think about how many billions of gallons of water are instantly now steamed. Yep. You're talking billions of gallons, cubic miles and if we're in a container, what would that do to the pressure? <laughs> yeah. Dude, Mike, this is yeah. awesome. Oh, one, one last thing, because you just touched on it. Um, there's a guy who was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award in New York City for working on the, the mud flutter buildings, the old, you know, turn of the century buildings that were tapping into all of this over unity technology. And he was describing the heating and powering systems of the of these. I'll send you links. Please. You can maybe post it if you haven't seen this. It's absolutely amazing. This guy's receiving a lifetime achievement award. He's the guy who who knows more about these these uh, how this works than than anybody else. And in fact, he's telling the story about how when things go wrong. Other people have come in and they don't understand how the systems really work, and so they're like, "This is weird," and they're trying to retrofit things, and they end up screwing it even more, screwing it up even more. And in some cases, it leads to explosions because they get all kinds of different back pressure. And so he's telling these stories, but he starts talking about one of the ways that some of these buildings were powering themselves, and they would drive a shaft down deep, deep into the earth. And obviously, the further down you go, the hotter it gets. 
So you get down to a point where where it gets hot enough that you can you can boil water. So you're converting the water to steam, mm -hmm. right? Then they have another shaft coming up. 1700 to one conversion mm -hmm. that that vapor that that steam is coming up through the other shaft they're using that to turn turbines yeah and to heat the you know the radiator systems through the whole buildings those buildings were completely self-sufficient and that and that's without even looking at their their electrical systems and the, exactly. the me metallic tops and all the lines going down that are grounding into the earth and all, all of that stuff just just from steam alone by tapping into the, you know, the, it was a, you know, I, I, you know, you get, you get into the whole nuclear power. Is that a hoax and all this? And, and isn't it interesting that the nuclear power, you know, they, they always have these tree like trunk. Somebody said that the other day and I was like, yeah, that is interesting. I don't remember who, who mentioned that, but it's like, it's almost like they're paying homage to, to the, you know, what, what if when they're going down, they're tapping into this molten former tree and, and they're, what what if nuclear power plants are just steam power? Yeah, you know they told us Fukushima was going to kill all the life in the Pacific, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. People were moving back in weeks after, and those are thriving communities that don't seem to have you know ultra high cancer rates. Chernobyl is a thriving ecosystem. So the stuff they told us about nuclear power when I was a kid and what would happen it when there was destruction was a joke compared to the reality. Um, I, I wouldn't well, be surprised you'll, if, you'll if that's it. what nuclear power plants are, is they're drilling down, tapping into this heat, using that to convert, because 1,700 to 1 is a hell of a conversion rate. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this. My grandfather was a nuclear physicist, like a doctorate like nuclear physicist, and he was a very odd duck. up he'd always like say these things to me but he would never explain them because i think he was always trying to test my intelligence and he'd like always like audit my handwriting like he really got into that he did all these things for the air force like so why do you have a a, a doctorate in, U in, in nuclear physics that didn't do anything with bombs didn't do anything with nuclear stuff he was actually worked on genetics for the Air Force. So he said to me once, and this is at the height of the Cold War, this is like Reagan, like, oh, the Star Wars, and, you know, the, the, the Ruskies are going to bomb us to oblivion and all the rest of it. And I was telling him my fear one day, and he's like, Christopher, they never make a weapon that they're not going to use. I read that as a kid, like, oh my God, we're gonna oh, die. Oh shit, we're doomed. We're, we're gonna <laughs> die tomorrow, you know, because we're told, yeah. oh, you know, the U.S. has seventeen thousand nuclear warheads, Russia has twelve thousand. I mean, the numbers that they were given were just—it was such an absurd thing during the Cold War. Hmm. And and when he said that to me, I was just like mortified. It took me a bunch of years to understand. He was telling me they don't have any weapons. Well, this gets back into prospiracy, right? Because that was a big fear for me growing up as well. Like, you know, I used to constantly ponder, like, when, when, when will the last day be? You know, and you know, the the Russians and the Cold War and all this. And and um, oh, now 
I lost the thread. Um, it'll come back to me in a second. Prospiracy, you know, that, that this, this idea that, oh, I know what I was going to say is that, um, you know, it, as I understand it, all of the, all of the physics involved in the whole nuclear power stuff is all based on Einsteinian physics right Garbage. and and if you <laughs> dig into einstein you realize what a fraud that guy was and oh, you know that it's all just narrative control once again yeah. so um you know that that's why i like that term conspiracy because it's like it's it's when you when you dig into some of this stuff with with the conspiracy world it can get so dark you start learning about what they're doing to kids and all these you know the horrors at the top when it comes to the elite and who they are and what they're up to and it can it can really be depressing and it can you can cause it can cause you to spiral. Yeah. Um, but there are lights at the end of the tunnel. The more you start to learn, the more of the 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 fear porn that we're fed stops it stops having any relevance to you in your life. And so that's a very positive thing. And hence the word prospiracy. I really think this realm you get what you want. You know, so you have people that want to be victims and you want, you have people that want to be victors. You know, there's virtue or vice, there's victimhood or, or, or victorship. And I think people get exactly what it is that they want. And it's a, it's a, it's a, that sounds like very deterministic in a way, but uh, I see it over and over again because I've seen the contrast of when a client of mine changed their mind their life changes instantaneously and so it's been like oh my goodness like this realm is all about signaling that's why the holographic aspect of it really like michael talbot's work really resonates with me is because light is instantaneous it's not you know photons from one place to another you know all is mine you know one of the first hermetic principles is like not saying your mind it's not saying like oh your mind has created everything what it's saying is is you are within the field of mind which is everything and depending on your intent i mean that's the whole reason why we're here is to shape our intent towards being better you know <laughs> and having the hormetic stress of physicality to actually mold us in a way that makes our soul better like Dude, intent is everything. You can have people. Well, and that's a, that's another one of those things they're trying to program out of us by teaching us it's the world is mechanistic and you know reductionistic and all of these things and and it's like the the ancients the you know the you studied in the East and you know consciousness precedes matter and they tell us that consciousness is an epiphenomenon that arises when the system becomes. Uh, sufficiently complex then you know throwing a little electricity like frankenstein and boom there you, you've got consciousness you know it's like yeah. no that's not how it works and uh you know it comes down to what is it energy frequency vibration and and it's i you know it's all in my mind it's all just one big gigantic cymatic utterance you know first there was the word awesome and, and the word the word was with god and the word was god and god moved upon the spirits of the water and this ties into cavitation, it ties into sonoluminescence, star in a jar, the primer fields, all that stuff. It just, it, you know, all of those are empirical scientific experiments that just confirm what the ancients were telling us about it, about the nature of reality, which has been drummed out of all of us 
you know, since we were pre-verbal. I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. Mike Wilkerson, this has been a blast. Everybody, you need to check out Stellium 7. <laughs> we're definitely going to have to wrap out some more. They're about to start a concert, like, real close to here. I totally forgot. It's, it's uh, Sunday Dance Church here, so. Oh, gotta, wonderful. Yeah. One of the big octagon pavilions I built, they, they do Sunday Dance Church, so. I, I oh, this is so fun. I'm so glad you reached out to me. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. So yeah, yeah and your work, that, that your, you initiated it. Your work is stellar and I'm going to push a lot of people your direction. Thank you. Thank you. And keep in mind, I might be wrong about it all. So same, same. If you send, yeah. if you send me, if you, if you send me a, um, an address, I'll, I'll, I'll drop yes, that in the mail. I will. And since hopefully it, someday since I'll it, come. it was found with you in mind and it happened very quickly and very synchronistically and it's a beautiful example because it's got so many of the the features including the, the aortal opening right at the top at what that. are the odds what are the odds i found that in seconds perfect good stuff mike we'll talk soon take care i hope you enjoyed mike wilkerson of stellium 7 on youtube Let's really start to look at what our surroundings are turning out to be. The majority of the mining, coal mining shafts in the world that have actually had LIDAR or deep penetrating radar to actually map what's underneath us those are actually turning out to look exactly like the root systems of trees. So we had massive trees, we had massive beings. Uh, the titans actually did exist. There is, uh, <laughs> I guess, truth in fiction. And what we have to reconcile is that our, the people that actually manage us or try to manage us, I, I should say, they don't want us to know about cataclysm. I've known this for a while in, internally because what would be the point of materialism if cataclysm was a fact? You know, what would be the point of pushing materialist ideology all the time? Like, you know, reach for the golden ring if there was the knowledge that, hey, the majority of the time, every civilization pretty much gets disappeared. <laughs> and it usually happens when that, that civilization hubris hits it, its peak. Plato talked about it in Timaeus. It was like, as soon as humans thought that they were gods, boom, Atlantis was gone. And Atlantis, the way it was described, was much more advanced than us. This is not fiction. This is, this is really part of our creator's plan. We are to be here in wonder and in wonder and create at our level. We're not here <laughs> to actually uh, reinvent the wheel per se. We, we are here to actually take the God-given tools and materials and skills and trust. And when we do that, we turn out to be like a Victor Schauberger, or we turn out to be like a uh, John Morel Keeley. We biomimic. <laughs> All the best technologies are biomimicry. Um, 
I'm just so excited because so many other podcasters are starting to get into the work of Viktor Grabevnikov. And it's all pointing to this beautiful thing that there's technology that is over unity, which for all intents and purposes means that there's more output than input. This technology has been hidden from us because once you have that technology, you don't, you're not dependent on a, on a false authority. The entire system that we're in right now depends you to be dependent on a false authority. So take that as much as you want. So we are going to be diving more and more into uh, the work of these people that actually can lead to a real sense of independence. There's a calm that occurs when you know you can handle a situation or you can handle a grid down situation. Um, I have friends that are excellent from a security perspective. Like if there was ever like a security breach, they could handle that really well. I lack in that. <laughs> but if there is a grid down situation, um, I can handle that. And what I want to do with the podcast is actually bring you guys innovators, thinkers that actually completely dissolve the lies, the narrative that's out there that makes you feel like you're a dependent and bring to you a sense of calm and knowing that we're always provided for, we always have a way. There, if there's a problem, there's a solution and you can get through it. So please check out the previous podcast. Now that we're getting where I guess we're like 33 or 34 podcasts in, you're starting to get a framework. And if you re-listen to the earlier ones, you're going to start to understand what I've been talking about more. Because um, now, now there's, a, there's a logic that's behind it. So please check those out. As usual, if you support, uh, that's always, that's always a, a welcome. I love the reciprocal nature of existence. And I appreciate you guys sharing and uh, all the rest of it. We have a, a really nice list of people coming through here in the near future. Um, I'm going to bring on my buddy Chance Garten of the Interverse Podcast. I got uh, Steve Falconer coming on. He runs the Space Busters uh, website. Excuse me, Space Busters channel on BitChute. Um, <laughs> he and I are going to jam pretty hard. Got interview Dr. Tom Cowan again. We're going to release that. And then Tom Barnett and I have a few funny things that are in, in the pipeline. So thank you guys so much for your support. And I, I really look forward to seeing you in the chat. Um, check out the BioCharisma podcast chat. That's, uh, that's a lot of fun on there. The, all the information that's being shared is excellent. And please share this with your friends. Um, I, I like the numbers growing. I like more people diving into the crazy boat. So thank you again, and I'll see you next week. You ought to know. Well, now you. You ought to know by now. You ought to know.
you ought to know by now. 